You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 409. Listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at producer Liz Piper's headquarters in Ontario, Canada. Today's show is recorded on the 22nd of January, 2020. episode, Delta Airlines jet dumps fuel on school children as it prepares for an emergency landing. The Boeing 737 MAX loses orders faster than it gains them. More news, your feedback, and another edition of Plane Tales. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked position. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 409 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger, a real radio professional in the New York City market. We do appreciate his introductions to our show. And this is the Airline Pilot Guy podcast. It's a a show that we talk about aviation news and cover your feedback. And helping me to do that this week from his studio in the English countryside, a professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, a retired captain for an international airline based in London, it's Captain Nick. Well, hello there, Jeff. I haven't seen you for ages. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you're in one of the most beautiful cities in the world. And yes. I want to see the picture of the snow angels you've been making. Okay, we'll get to that soon. Stay tuned. And also joining us from the Northwest Atlanta suburbs. Barbecue master, motorcycle rider, pleasure boat skipper, underwater photographer, and captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier. It's Captain Dana. Pleasant day to everybody. Glad to be on the show on a fantastically cold day here in Atlanta. Yes, it is. Actually, it's just about as cold in Atlanta as it is up here in, well, let me tell you where I am. Also joining us from producer Liz's wonderful home condo studio uh, in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. It's producer Liz. Hi there. Welcome to your northern outpost, Jeff. Thank you. It's great to be here. And let me uh, turn that down. There we go. It's fading away. Um, Yeah, so uh, Liz and I earlier, uh, before we started the recording, were out there um, in some field uh, with, I don't know, the snow must have been about, what, 10 feet deep, something like that? Easily. Yeah, and we were doing the snow angels and everything else. Unfortunately, we had a camera, but the snow was so deep. I know. It it, it, it just just didn't record. We couldn't find it. No, it's gone. So we we don't have that evidence, I'm sorry. No, and we didn't need any yellow snow either. Nope, we stayed away from the yellow snow. Yeah, uh, it has snowed here, but not quite that much. No, just about maybe about eight inches. Yes. Do you, uh, never mind. No, we we'll won't skip go there. That one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. All yeah, right. Yeah, skip that one. <laughs> Thank you. 
And uh, yeah, so um, on a trip here and uh, day two of four and got in nice and early just before noon. And Liz said, uh, well, uh, why don't uh, if it's if it's good timing, why don't you just bring your recording gear and we can record a show here at my new condo. And it's wonder. this is not the first time I've been here. Actually, I was I the like one of the first visitors to the, the day condo? I picked up my keys. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it looks so wonderful now with all your furniture in it. Thanks. Yeah, it's feeling like home now. It's great. I'm good. enjoying it. Excellent. And so uh, Liz picked me up from the airport and we drove over here and I got all set up and she took Hannah out for a little uh, walk and uh, exercise and such. Yeah. Yeah. And where is she? Yep. She's lying right behind you there. Okay. Right behind me. She's keeping an eye on me. Yeah. I'm not really sure. Who is that guy? Who this guy is. Yeah. I wouldn't, I don't blame her. He's got more facial hair than she does. <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> I think she has more facial hair than, uh, than Nick has. Probably. I think it'd be a close, it would be a close tie, I think. I'm yeah. not so sure. I think uh, <laughs> Hannah might win. <laughs> I and found out something very interesting. Yeah. Hannah's a type of dog that I actually could have. They're fairly hypoallergenic. They are. They're yeah. very I healthy. I did not realize that. No. Huh. Well, that kind of information and more trivial, trivial information we're going to cover as soon as we finish talking about the news. Let's get to it. Stand by for news. The first item in our news folder from producer Liz, because she's the one that sets all this up for us. Thank you. Is the, of course, everybody has been hearing about this on the news. It's quite a, quite a, uh, I don't know what. Cause uh, celeb. Cause celeb. Uh, Los Angeles, California, a Delta Airlines 777 um, taking off out of there. They had some engine compressor stalls. And uh, they uh, started getting coordination to come back around. They were going from uh, L.A. to Shanghai, I believe. And uh, just, as I said, uh, passing through about 8,000 feet or so, uh, they had just uh, contacted uh, departure control or departure control had just given them a permission to do a high speed climb. And then they said, uh, yeah, we need to bring the thing back because we're having engine compressor stalls. And the air traffic controllers uh, clearly on live ATC asked them if they needed to dump fuel. And they said, no, we don't need to. So they started getting vectored back around for the uh, approach to 25 right, uh, which is on the southern complex of the uh, Los Angeles International Airport. And the reason why they chose 25 right is because it's the longest runway available at Los Angeles International. And so they were doing their checklists, and I think they got the un the engine under control. I don't believe they had to shut it down. They reduced the power on it. The compressor stall stopped, and they came in for a landing. The onlyest problem is that at some point, they actually did start dumping fuel, and we don't know the full story yet, uh, exactly who initiated the dumping process, but it's not an automatic process. It's something that's initiated by the pilots in the cockpit. Now, there were 
probably at least four pilots in that cockpit because that's that's a long flight to Shanghai. So I'm guessing there'd probably be at least three, but probably four, wouldn't you say, Dana? Um, for Delta Airlines, they probably use two captains and two uh, first officers for that flight. Yeah, that would be my guess because that's probably ultra long. Yeah. and uh, But I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure either. But anyway, uh, there was an extra, at least one extra pilot in there in the cockpit. Um, And uh, they started running checklists and maybe in the confusion, somebody decided, yeah, we need to make sure that we get the – the fuel dumping going there. Maybe that was an item on the checklist that they came to. And uh, maybe they didn't hear the exchange on the radio with air traffic control when air traffic control asked them if they were going to be dumping fuel. Well, long story short, uh, the fuel dumping was still in progress uh, all the way down on vectors to the two five right, including um, at the final approach fix, where there was a school with young children and some adults out there supervising, and they were sprayed with jet A fuel. And at that point, they're at 2,500 feet above the ground. Um, Most people would say that, you know, the minimum, uh, again, it depends on the temperature, the air temperature and the elevation and that kind of thing. But uh, 5,000 feet, I think, is a number that I hear a lot. is probably about as low, maybe 4,000 feet, that you want to be dumping fuel, but definitely not at 2,500 feet. So um, it sounds to me like it was an inadvertent um, thing that that occurred. And several of the kids and, uh, as I said, people supervising them uh, outside were, uh, were uh, sprayed with the Jet A and uh, taken. I don't think any of them had to actually be taken to a hospital. That um, there were people that responded to them and took care of them. But uh, now I hear that there's well, a lawsuits big lawsuit. have started. Yeah. What do you all think? Yeah, it's uh, it, it is a worry. Um, no idea why. Actually, those of you who follow Miami Rick, uh, one of our past presenters, and when I say past, I mean he's left us, not uh, uh, the world. Um, he uh, had a very good Twitter feed on it, and he explained all through the uh, the drills the crew would be doing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but he wouldn't, uh, and possibly quite rightly, comment on whether the how the crew had come to jettison fuel. Um, I think you're right, Jeff. I think it was uh, inadvertent. Um, no idea what happened on the flight deck. We're just going to have to wait to find out. But the mechanics of the fueler that it comes down at about uh, 500 feet a minute, is that about a reasonable drop rate? I'm trying to think now. That's um, uh, wake turbulence drops at 500 feet per minute, yeah, so I would imagine uh, that. But I think fuel does a similar sort of thing. It evaporates quite quickly, so the amount that would have reached ground level would have been pretty small, but still enough to cause irritation and upset, I have absolutely no doubt. But it's not like they were jettisoning something really toxic or poisonous. The aviation fuel is basically paraffin. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not nice if you get it on you in large quantities, but at the sort of level that it was uh, coming down, and it would not have been a huge problem in my mind. Um, the captain always has the authority to go against anything that's written in his manual. So if he decided he absolutely needed to jettison fuel below 5,000 feet, he would be legally allowed to do it. But 
afterwards, then you have to sit down with everyone and decide whether that was a safe action on a required action or not. And I guess we're going to find out in the future. Now, I mention his uh, YouTube channel all the time, Juan Brown, Blancalirio channel. He is actually a qualified triple seven first officer um, for a, a major legacy carrier. And he has a wonderful video talking about, goes into a lot of detail, just as Miami Rick did on the, the mechanics of fuel dumping and everything else. But, but John, uh, excuse me, Juan goes into even more detail about what may have been happening, what they may have been thinking about, etc. cetera. Um, so I, I, I'll put a link to his YouTube channel and the specific YouTube video regarding this this incident here. Uh, if air traffic control had known that they were actually going to dump fuel, it would have just been a matter of vectoring them over the water, and nobody would have gotten any of the residual effect of the fuel dumping. Yes, Jeff, th- this is my thought process. <clears throat> First off, I'm, I'm not going to say anything on the legal side of things because I have I reserve my rights on, on my thoughts here in the United States with that. Uh, so I'm not going to incriminate anybody or anything. Um, <clears throat> however, uh, as far as, uh, you know, persecution of the media, as we know, uh, you got to understand these guys have just taken off. They've got a fully loaded 777 with uh, a engine issue. Um, I'm not sure that as a captain, I mean, I you know, we're Monday quarter monday morning quarterback and it's beyond belief uh in the media and everybody has you know their their comments on it but the bottom line is is this gentleman and or you know female or whoever was in in the cockpit i don't know who it was um they did a job and that job was to get the aircraft safely back on the ground with 200 plus people on the aircraft so you know it's almost like you're damned if you're doing you're damned if you don't i don't know that they even thought about going out holding over the ocean, but I don't know that I personally would do that uh, knowing that I only have one engine left. I think I'm going to bring the airplane back around um, and put the aircraft on the ground. Procedurally, you know, they're probably very busy and they're probably going through the checklist and as, uh, you know, a similar airline that we fly for, as we're we're taught, the, you know, we got one guy flying the airplane that's all he's focusing on, and the other person's running the QRH. Well, when you're that time compressed, you know, how long was the airborne? 15 minutes? Yeah, but see, that the point might be made that they weren't really, it wasn't a time compressed situation because this airplane, this 777 is a ETOPS airplane. It's certified to fly in one engine for over five hours. It's like one of the highest ETOPS ratings out there. So, I'm not sure that you could really argue that it was a time sensitive situation. Um, now you maybe you could. I'm just saying. I, eh. I, I, and I would because now you're seeing you're single engine close to land uh, at a low altitude. Yeah, and but, it doesn't and, take it doesn't take a whole lot to think about the fact that what happened in at you know on the Hudson to think about all right now we we have a completely new situation here, and we don't in in that situation you don't know what caused started causing the compressor stall. It could have been an intake of birds. You, you know, you don't know. But I'm thinking I'm close to an airport. Uh, I I don't want to necessarily take the chance of flying around the sky, burning off and dumping fuel for 30 minutes, 40 minutes on a single engine airplane. Well, the other point that uh, Juan makes in his um, video is the fact that that airplane is fully certified to land at its at the takeoff weight. So 
uh, on that runway. That's one of the things that they briefed before. Anyway, please watch that video. It's a, it's very enlightening in my mind. Um, you know, for, for that particular airplane at that particular airport, um, fuel dumping is not necessary. They can land at the full weight. Um, and I, that's why I kind of think that, um, whoever was talking on the radio, was thinking we're not going to dump fuel. We're going to come back, and then somebody changed their mind at some point and started the dumping procedure and forgot to let air traffic control know. And then they forgot that they were still dumping fuel at a point way too low. So, which which sounds to me, Jeff, that what it was is the time was compressed. Not they were. It was probably self induced. Yeah, because that's it, one of those I mean, things right that we talk around. about in training. That that's why we spend so much time on threat error management and you know the bucket of time, bucket of no time, and making sure that we don't inappropriately put a situation into the we don't have any time, like we, we're on fire kind of bucket. And in this case, they're not on fire. You know, I'm, 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 I know we're we're really analyzing this thing. We weren't in the situation, but I'm saying I, I'm not so sure that it was a. An issue of time compression, but maybe just miscommunication in the cockpit and somebody may have started the fuel fuel dumping procedure and maybe not everybody knew and not everybody was on the same page there in the cockpit. I'm guessing. I don't know. My point isn't that they were time compressing themselves. My, my, my thing is, is that just like when I just had that recent issue that happened, time and we built in time. But it was a no no nonsense get the airplane on the ground type of deal. Is that even though there is time, the perception of the person or the people in the flight deck at that time, the perception is that time is going by quicker. So yes, it is good to build in time. However, as you're running through a procedure, you can have that feeling of being. Uh, compressed in time because of your relative position to the airport. That's all I'm saying. Right, but again, I don't know if that's actually. The issue here, the issue is not whether it was time compression or not. It was why they dumped the fuel when at, when they told air traffic control they weren't going to. Because what my point is, is that when you're running the procedure, you can have that misperception of time when you're running the procedure. So that's, it could lead to error. It could lead to not thinking things through completely in what you're doing. That's the only thing I'm, I'm, I'm really getting at. What do you think? Sorry, second. I said, what do you think, Nick? Oh, uh, what I'm thinking is uh, I'm a believer that once the situation, the immediate situation uh, has been resolved to the point where you've dealt with that particular engine full. And I don't even know if they had to shut it down or not. Do do we know? Because I had a feeling all they had to do was pull it back to idle. So they're not actually on one engine. They've got all the systems going. Everything's running. They're powered by one engine, one engine at idle. uh, And they're bringing it around for an an immediate recovery. The amount of fuel they're going to successfully jettison in that short pattern is actually going to be pretty small because it takes quite a considerable time if you're on a big, uh, long-haul leg to throw enough fuel overboard to get back down to your landing weight. So you're not you're still going to be overweight when you land. Certainly in my aircraft you would have been having had a similar problem coming or having had a problem coming out of Shanghai to go back to London. Uh, we had dumped for 45 50 minutes to get back to landing weight. 
Um, so I don't think they're going to make a significant difference to their aircraft weight in the 10 minutes or so that they had to dump fuel. So I do, if I'd been in the cockpit, I don't think I'd have made the dumping decision. I'd say, if we want to get to the aircraft on the ground, let's do it. We can't, we haven't got time to dump. It's not going to make a big difference. And it's just going to add another procedure to all these checklists we're trying to do. Now, I have no idea what happened on their cockpit. Yeah. But my feeling is, if you've got the situation under control and you have got time to dump, you, know, you go out over the ocean, you fly your dumping pattern, you get rid of the fuel, you bring it back. If you don't feel you have got time to dump because you want to get the airplane on the ground, you don't dump. You bring the airplane straight back and throw it on the ground. Right. I agree. All right. Well, hopefully we'll learn more information about this. Uh, let's dump this item. Yeah, let's dump this news item. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, item two, uh, or B yeah, in the news here. Um, you know what? You know, we just don't hear enough about the Boeing 737 never enough. Max. No. Never enough. <laughs> yeah. It's Max Max. It's not one thing, it's another. It's maxed out. <laughs> it really has been. Yeah. Boeing. Boeing. This is a big surprise. Had its worst year in three decades and lost the title of world's biggest plane maker. Boeing recorded a negative number of commercial airplane sales for 2019, its worst sales performance in at least 30 years. More orders were canceled than were placed, bringing the plane maker down 87 orders compared to the start of the year. Boeing's deliveries were also down significantly. The ongoing Boeing 737 MAX scandal was a major factor in the fallen orders and weak delivery totals. Sign up for Business Insider's transportation newsletter. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> a nice <pop> up. <laughs> A nice ad for Business Insider. That's, by the way, where we're reading this news article. Boeing's commercial airplane division lost orders. Okay, we talked about that. The negative orders starkly demonstrated the damage inflicted by Boeing by the ongoing 737 MAX crisis, along with trade wars. Uh, so, you know, you get the idea. Uh, it has not been a bad year. <laughs> it's been a bad year for the Boeing company, for sure. Well, and, and not only that, but all of its, uh, you know, suppliers. That's, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. They're the it, ones it, that the you domino don't effect about. right down through the right through the economy. Yeah, the uh, one of the big ones, uh, Dana, is the I think it's called Spirit, not Spirit Airlines, but uh, another company that makes the fuselages for the seven thirty seven, and uh, they've been extremely hardly hit, hard hit. There we go. Um, yeah, so I don't know. And the word is on the street that it may not be the summer until the aircraft certified or beyond, or beyond. Oh, God, yeah. well, if it goes on beyond, then you you wonder what the hell's going to happen. Yeah. I think a lot of people are saying they're going to have to rebrand the thing, not call it Max anymore. Um, I don't know what they're going to call it, but anywho. Um, 797. There we go. Well, I don't know if you can make it a completely new. I don't know. We'll see. Might be interesting marketing um, stuff. Um, moving on to C. Here's an interesting one. Um, back in October. Uh, this is from yourmileagemayvary.net. It's a uh, blog. Back in October, we wrote about a woman who managed to get past the TSA security checkpoint at Orlando International Airport, MCO, and board a Delta plane despite having no idea and no plane ticket. Well, it's probably just a coincidence, but we now have another sneak past the TSA officer's story out of Orlando, this time involving a 15-year-old girl. 
Orlando Police Department report that a 15-year-old girl got through security at MCO on Friday afternoon without a proper boarding pass. Exactly how that happened and how she was discovered are both something of a mystery. According to the OPD report, the girl told officers she had found a drink coupon on the floor and used it to get through the TSA security checkpoint. I didn't know you could get through the TSA security checkpoint with a drink coupon. But did she bribe the TSA officer with the drink coupon? Oh, that could be. <laughs> it was maybe for one of those fancy Starbucks uh, beverages. I don't oh, know. Yeah, it would have been nice. Yes. Uh, let's see. Uh, meanwhile, the TSA's statement gave a different story and said that she presented a valid and current boarding pass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sure she did. Uh <laughs> Officials with the Greater Orlando Aviation Authority confirmed that the teen presented a boarding pass to TSA. Okay. Well, another news agency uh, said the police report did not mention that the girl had a boarding pass. Oh, so anyway. If she had a boarding pass, this is a complete non-event. Yes. She's going to go and get on an airplane. Right. So where's the story? Yeah. Well, she didn't. <laughs> so surveillance video shows a teen going through the tsa pre-check lane about 1 30 that day a pre-check <laughs> she went through the pre-check lane that's very nice um anyway uh she ended up showing up at the southwest airlines gate gave a southwest employee a drink coupon with someone else's name on it while searching for the name on the uh, on the coupon in Southwest's records, it was discovered that the person it belonged to had already boarded a flight earlier that day. This prompted the employee to contact authorities. Uh, OPD, uh, Orlando Police Department, discovered that the 15-year-old, who said she just wanted to fly on an airplane, had taken several buses to get to the airport and had been missing from her home since the previous day. Since she was found safe and in good condition, she was later reunited with her family. Sounds well, like nice it. end of the story. But let's remind ourselves that we have done stories in the past where um, airline pilots have been employed for many years without a valid license. That's true. That's true. <laughs> That's a lot worse. <laughs> this, is actually quite, <laughs> this is actually quite small in comparison. <laughs> Good point, Nick. Why is this in our news folder then? <laughs> I'm sorry. My bad. <laughs> Just kidding. It's always fun to cover stories like that. Um, item D. A classical conductor trades baton for pilot uniform. Actually, he doesn't trade. If you read the article, he doesn't trade it. He's actually going to do both. He's adding. Yeah, adding. Very good. I hope he conducts a good flight. Me too. Uh, uh, bing, 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 bam, bam. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Um, his name, Daniel Harding. He's a guest conductor at the New York Philharmonic. <laughs> I've never heard of that. Or, no, or that. Some little yeah. band. Little, little, whatever. Little jazz band. Fly somewhere? by night. Outfit. Yeah. There you go. Uh, and music director of the Swedish Radio Symphony Orchestra is temporarily leaving his lofty perch in the world of classical music to pursue another dream job, airline pilot. The 44-year-old led three Philharmonic concerts last week in New York. He will conduct his final concert of the season in Stockholm in June in honor of Beethoven's 250th birthday. Then he will leave the podium for the cockpit of an Airbus A320 for Air France. The Brit will focus the next year solely on flying as a first officer or co-pilot on medium-haul flights out of Paris. 
Long hauls would eventually follow. His plan is to take a year-long sabbatical and then resume concerts and gradually achieve a 50-50 split between the two careers. Uh, his uh, quote here, conductors, or I'm not sure who's being quoted here. Yeah, it's him. Oh, it's him. Okay. Conductors tend to retire at 95 and pilots at 65, he said after a concert at Lincoln Center's David Geffen Hall last week. I've got another 20 years I can fly, and that would give me the chance to have a full career and experience different aircraft and at some point become a captain. Conducting is something you keep doing until you're no longer physically able. Mr. Harding, who made his debut as a professional conductor at 17, wow, and was uh, until last year the music director of the Orchestra de Paris, had wanted to fly since he was a child. While traveling as a conductor, he would call up flying schools and for a price be taken up in a plane and shown how it works. But not until he was about to turn 40 and seeking a new challenge did he decide to get his pilot's license. The tangible side of flying appealed to him. With music, you have to be comfortable with the fact that there are very often not uh, there very often aren't answers to your big questions. You've got to say, okay, I'll try my best to understand, but in the end, I have to go with the feeling. Uh, there's a part of me that has a problem with that. I'm much more comfortable with it now that I have another thing where I can put my more rational side. Um, after he obtained a pi- private pilot's license, the next stage was instrument flying, then pursuit of a multi-engine rating followed by theory exams for the airline transport pilot license. Along the way, he gained his commercial license, a multi-crew certificate, and ultimately an A320 type rating certification, which he achieved in August 2018 through an Air France program before then undergoing its rigorous selection process. He said, uh, I don't think I had an afternoon off in four years because if I wasn't conducting, I was flying or studying. Um I'm trying to find the paragraph here. A great article, by the way, which we'll have in the show notes. Um, he talks about uh, the similarities between being an orchestra conductor and an airline pilot. Um, I should probably have highlighted it, but I can't find it. Hmm. Okay. In a commencement speech to the airline's 2017 class of captains, Mr. Harding spoke as a conductor, a member of a different field, who nonetheless draws on the same skills and qualities. Those include collective performance, rigor, communication, adaptability, humility, the ability to prioritize and digest large amounts of information, error management, and situational awareness in aviation speak. And uh, anyway... He said he urged the captains to share their love for the job. Anyway, he, he's uh, joined a fairly long queue, isn't he, of uh, musicians who've become uh, airline pilots. I mean, there's a, there's a guy, an Iron Maiden, who is a qualified airline pilot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of my training captains, he used to be a saxophonist and played with Manfred Mann. Uh, and we have a captain, a lovely bloke called Ian, who's closely related to um, Palmer of Emerson Lake and Palmer, who is a professional drummer and continues his work whilst also uh, maintaining an aviation career. And there's just the ones I know of. Yeah. Uh, A lot of the pilots that I fly with, um, when you get to know them and understand their backgrounds, uh, you'll find that uh, many of them are uh, musicians as well. Yeah, I got a really good buddy of mine at Acme that uh, I've known forever. 
and uh, he's part of very active part of the band um and he loves it absolutely loves it so yeah. that was sent in by Sean McCann. the uh, the the one thing you have to watch out though Although are pilots who used to be trumpet players, they're, they're yeah, they're the nightmare. Just really watch out. They're the it. ones that uh, aren't really good pilots. <laughs> yeah, you got to be very careful of those guys. <laughs> um, it's always funny when I when I talk to people that are um, that have backgrounds in music and they play played in bands and that kind of thing. I when I ask them what instrument they played, it seems like about at least eighty percent of the time it's trumpet. Yeah, really? those trumpet players. Yeah, they're. They're all stuck. Blow their own horn. Yeah. yeah, they like to toot their own horn for sure. Uh, by the way, that was uh, thank you, Sean McHale, for uh, sending that in to us. And uh, Nick uh, Owen and uh, John Austell tell us it's Bruce Dickinson. Bruce Dickinson. There you go. Oh, but Iron, Iron Maiden. Maiden. Yep. Very cool. All right. John uh, Travolta as well. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's a very famous uh, actor. actor and actor dancer and musician. And musician. Yep. And, and uh, he had his own airplane and represented, you know, as a uh, unofficial, uh, no, official representative of Qantas. Yeah, and uh, I'm not sure where what the status is of that airplane. It's in some airport in South Georgia, I think, still. They're trying to raise money to get it to fly back over to Australia. I think we talked about that on an earlier episode, didn't we? We did. I think so. All right, uh, moving on to uh, E. Delta Airlines plane loses nose wheel while taxiing at Kansas City International Airport. That's the headline. Now, we're going to see how accurate that is. Um, first of all, I have to give them kudos. Uh, this is uh, foxnews.com. They actually put a picture here of a, a Delta Airlines A319. It's They got the picture mm. right. They got an, it was an Airbus and the actual model of Airbus that was involved in this incident. Yeah. Cool. Um, so kudos for that. That's about as far as it goes, though. Um, passengers aboard a Delta flight preparing to depart from Kansas City, Missouri, were forced to deplane after the plane's nose wheel, quote, dropped off the taxiway payment on Friday morning. Okay. Now, remember the headline. Delta Airlines plane loses nose wheel. So when I saw the headline, I'm thinking the the wheel came off. No, no. the wheel was never came off the airplane. It the it, the the nose wheel went off of the prepared surface. It lost contact with the taxi. Yes, uh, it was a three nineteen taxiing toward the end of the runway when the wheel exited the taxiway. A representative for the Kansas City International Airport. And they put in parentheses KCI. But that's not the identifier for the Kansas City International Airport. It is MCI. Um, but everybody there, they don't like MCI. They like KCI. So everything that you see around the Kansas City International oh, really? Airport says KCI. But if you look at your luggage tag or your or your boarding pass for Kansas City International, it does not say KSI, KCI. It says MCI. I've but, been there. Have you? Yeah, yeah. You picked up a uh, charter, right? Or you well, took I, an airplane I, I, for a charter. I, I dumped the airplane that picked up the charter. Oh, that's right. They wanted more experienced captain to actually fly. Yeah, they said, no, you, you, you'll have too much fun flying all those uh, Kansas City chiefs around with, right. their, with their cheerleaders and everything. By the way, they are in the Super Bowl. They are the, are the uh, American Football Conference champions, the all right. AFC. They'll be playing the National Football Conference champions, the uh, San Francisco 49ers. The Frisco 49ers. Oh, yeah. 
Frisco. Love it. San Francisco. Sorry. I'm Frisco now. I'm just, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, we're going to get a lot of hate mail now. I'm sorry. <laughs> you bet. Um, send that to uh, that hate mail to junk at airlinepilotguy.com. <laughs> All right. Um, anyway, uh, the uh, this is a, an official statement from the communi- communications manager. For ca- By the way, I, I don't know if I've told the story before. Stop me, Liz, if I have. I will. Uh, the identifier for – I've been told the story. I don't know if it's true, but I think it is. Um, when they decided to make the new Kansas City International Airport, they had they have one downtown, very famous one, but they wanted to enlarge the airport, and so they put it a ways out of town, and uh, they called it the Kansas City International Airport. When they petitioned to the FAA for an identifier, they want they chose MCI for basically their middle continent. Internet Midcontinent International, because if you look on a the the continental United States, Kansas City is awfully darn close to the geographic center of the continental United States. And then after a while, the marketing people go, "Oh, that's no good. We need to that nobody's going to know what MCI is, so let's change it." They appealed to or petitioned the FAA to change the identifier to KCI, and they said, "Nope." We gave you MCI. That's what you asked for, and we're not going to change it. And I think the only time in history in the U.S. that the FAA has ever changed an airport identifier is John F. Kennedy International because that was what um, Idlewild. Idlewild was the name of that airport, and they changed it to uh, – it was IDW or something like that, and they changed it to JFK mm-hmm. uh, for you know in honor of uh, John F. Kennedy and his assassination. So, um, there we go. So, so. you're saying this uh, news article uh, on Fox News, uh, you hand uh, them a compliment on one side, and then you immediately take it away. <laughs> so, what I would say is I'm being fair and balanced. Absolutely. 50%. They even achieved 50%. That's their their tagline, fair and balanced. Yep. So, But give, yeah, you have to have they were shock fair. value. Shock value. They were fair. Yeah, they had a big headline. Yeah. So anyway, it looks like a little slippery there at Kansas City International. Um, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, Some place in here it said that uh, they ended up um, going out and putting de-icers on the um, taxiways, but not because of the Delta incident. No, had nothing, has nothing to, do. to do with it. Nothing to see here. <laughs> yeah. So look the other way. Nothing to see here. Uh, item F. This is a really interesting article. Love it's a, this. It's a long one. We're not going to read the whole thing. No. Um, but did you find this one, Liz? Uh, actually, Dispatcher Mike found Dispatcher it. Dispatcher Mike. And, sorry, Dispatcher Mike found it. Okay. And then I, I want to hear your lovely voice. I stole it. Yes. Well. Um, you stole the lovely voice? Where did you get it from? <laughs> Dispatcher Mike. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Um, this is from generalaviationnews.com. And I'll just read a little bit of it. Um Essentially, you know, I'm not going to read it. Uh, I'm going to tell you what the story is about. Um, the person writing the article was selling an engine, and um, this gentleman came by to pick it up. He and his wife uh, put it in the back of the minivan, and they started a conversation. And then it turns out that uh, this man was about to celebrate, I believe, his 75th anniversary of his solo flight. And I believe he was 17 when he soloed. And so you can do the math. The The gentleman is 90, 
92 years old, still flying. And man, really good article. The um, The number of airplanes he's flown are just amazing. Uh, great airplanes too. It's just a it's a wonderful story. Great photos. Great photos. Yes, it's uh, just one of those heartwarming things. Um, this guy uh, has amassed about two thousand five hundred hours, if I remember correctly, uh, over time. And these are in general aviation airplanes. He said, <laughs> if they remember one of the things he was talking about, he was flying somewhere, and the the trucks on the on the interstate highway were actually passing him up, moving faster than he was. You know, he was flying a lot of the things like the Aerocoops and um, uh, J3 Cubs and that kind of thing, things that don't really fly that fast. But uh, anyway, great article. If you want to get somewhere in a hurry, you don't do that anyway. You get on an airliner. He he obviously just liked being in the air. I can't blame him. One of these airplanes that he had was, it looks like, I don't know if it's a J3 Cub or not, but um, it had... Yeah, it's a Cub. It has this this landing gear on it called Whitaker Tandem Gear. I looked at this photo. I'm thinking, something doesn't look right about this. It's like Photoshop. It's got too many wheels. I know. It's like, <laughs> that's crazy. And then he says that, uh, I guess the point of it was that you could like go over, taxi over any kind of obstacles like a log or a rock. Uh, but he didn't want to do it because he was pretty sure that that wasn't going to work out very well. <laughs> but uh, anyway. Great, great article, and uh, uh, should definitely check it out in the show notes and read it. Thank you, Liz, and thank you, Mike, for sending that in. All right, G. So, hey, if you're running late for a flight, seems pretty reasonable to me. Just get on the phone, call the airline, and say, and call in a bomb threat. Why not? Why not? That that will certainly delay the flight, right? Well, it probably will, but it might get you into a little bit of trouble. An airline passenger has been jailed for causing a bomb scare on his own flight because he was running late and he feared he would miss the flight. Uh, Rashidul Islam, 32, called police 45 minutes before his EasyJet flight to Marrakesh from Gatwick, was due to take off after his train was canceled and his taxi became stuck in traffic on May 4th of last year. His hoax call caused the flight to be evacuated, <laughs> and all 147 passengers had to be rechecked by security. Uh, this cost the airline uh, an estimated 30,000 pounds and resulted in a three-hour delay. The good news is he made the flight. I know. He made the flight. Unfortunately for him, <laughs> they figured out that he was the guy that called in the bomb threat, the hoax, and they arrested him. And he was sentenced to 16 months in jail at Lou's Crown Court after pleading guilty to communicating false information. He is also banned from Gatwick. Now, is that necessarily a bad thing? <laughs> I don't know. Nev would say no. <laughs> um, anyway. Didn't we have a story about a gentleman who called in a bomb threat because his girlfriend, the flight attendant, was Yeah, and he thought down? that maybe that uh, somehow that would make her more attracted to him something or? like that i, I can't, just it came yeah. back to me anyway <laughs> seems to be a thing yeah it's a thing it's not a good thing no but it's a thing um h accident ute air boeing 737 800 at sochi on september 1st 2018 overran runway on landing we talked about this on our show it's been a while uh the MAK released their final report. 
Um, and apparently it upset uh, Simon a little bit because they didn't really notify anybody that they put their oh, final under, report out. Under. Yeah, let's uh, maybe nobody will notice. Um, the aircraft overran the runway, destroying uh, uh, destroying and damaged by fire was caused by the following factors. Okay. Repeated disregarding of the wind shear warnings, which when entered – okay, let me read the actual um, report here, what happened. Um, well, anyway, they – okay, let me go down here. The MAK analyzed the first approach to runway 6, stating that the aircraft descended through 1,000 feet in an entirely stabilized approach. Descending through 850 feet above ground, the crew received a predictive wind shear oral warning, go around, wind shear ahead. The crew, however, did not react, neither discussed the warning nor initiated a go around, but continued the approach. By the way, predictive wind shear is using the radar to scan pretty much directly ahead, maybe a little bit to the left and right. And what it's looking for is radar returns, especially like really ugly (laughs) radar returns like thunderstorms. And obviously the radar picked up, the predictive wind shear system picked up a really nasty cell that they were heading toward. And so they got the, you know, go around wind shear ahead. Now, most everybody would go, hmm, we should probably go go around. around because it's telling us. Go around, wind shear ahead. Nah. They continued. Uh, they did not react. Neither discussed the warning nor initiated a go around, but continued the approach. Descending through the decision height of 627 feet, neither pilot flying nor pilot monitoring, that was the first officer flying, announced a decision to continue or go around. The aircraft continued the approach. Descending through 170 feet above ground, so we're getting close to touchdown about 850 meters ahead of the runway threshold, a reactive wind shear alert was issued. Wind shear, wind shear, wind shear. (laughs) So, of course, they must have. So that means it's actually happening. Oh, yeah, Yeah. you're in a wind shear situation. And so you obviously perform your wind shear escape maneuver. This crew did not. Again, the crew continued the approach. About 110 feet above ground, the first officer asked, see the runway? (laughs) At which point, he's the guy flying. See the runway? Uh, At that point, the captain took control of the aircraft and initiated a go-around due to the runway visibility being obscured by a heavy rain shower. The flight data recorder showed the aircraft descended to 50 feet above the ground, about 40 meters ahead of the runway threshold, before climbing again. Okay. So just to give you an idea, I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's meters. Doesn't sound good, does it? Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh, The aircraft climbed above transition level to flight level 100. Uh, So they decided to try it again. While descending through 4,500 feet on the second approach, Tower advised uh, that a preceding aircraft had gone around. That crew, however, did not provide any reason for the go around. But we can kind of guess it had something to do with wind shear. Uh, Descending through 1,050 feet. The crew again received a predictive wind shear alert, go around, wind shear ahead, descending through 470 feet, AGL, uh, 2650 meters ahead of the runway threshold. The crew received a reactive wind shear alert again, wind shear, wind shear, wind shear, indicating the aircraft had entered the zone of wind shear. So, of course, the second time you're going to go around, right? I'd think so. Yeah, you'd think so. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. You'd be wrong. Uh, they continued. 
Um, in reaction to the wind shear, auto throttle accelerated the engines, descending through 75 feet AGL. The aircraft was now in the middle of the wind shear, and auto throttle began to reduce thrust as the aircraft had accelerated to 170 knots indicated. The target airspeed was 157. The captain disengaged the autopilot and auto thrust, freezing the thrust setting. The rate of descent decreased. The wind changed to a tailwind, increasing the speed over the ground to 178 knots. While the aircraft crossed the runway threshold at 54 feet, the aircraft continued to float for 14 seconds and touched down 160 knots indicated and 170 knots ground speed uh, about 4,000 some odd feet past the runway threshold. Ground spoilers were automatically extended. Auto brakes set to max engage. The first officer announced speed brake up, reversers maximum. However, the reversers had not yet been selected and were selected only 20 seconds later. The captain issued an expletive and demanded reversers. They were 8,820 feet down the runway when the reversers were selected. The engines had already spooled down to ground idle. The engines began to accelerate but reached maximum reverse thrust only after the aircraft had already overrun the end of the runway. Um, so anyway, it was not a good situation. They uh, uh, damaged the airplane. I'm not sure if there was uh, any passenger injuries here. Uh, I had to look at a different point here. But one of the interesting things about the report and that I highlighted here, and I'm scratching my head about, it. I'm not sure I understand this. One of the, well, they talk about, uh, you know, use of the automatic flight mode, autopilot, auto throttle in the flight under the wind shear conditions resulted uh, in the aircraft being unstable. Um, and I think that was against their, their uh, operator manual requirements. Um, lack of prevention measures taken by the operator when previous cases of poor crew response to wind shear warning were found. Um, but this one is the one that gets me. The crew members' high psycho-emotional state caused by inconsistency between the actual landing conditions and the received training, as well as the psychological limit, which was determined by the individual psychological constitution of each member. Huh? <laughs> That's why I'm like, huh? What, what does what? that mean? <laughs> Almost sounds like they need to be in a mental institution. <laughs> What I don't get this. So because they they didn't ever see this exact situation it in training it. that it, uh, it was upsetting to them and they they just froze and didn't know what to. I mean, it almost looks like to me that they just Ignored disregarded it. all the warnings of well, this can possibly ha be happening to us. So let's just keep on going. Maybe it's going to work out. I don't it's know. clear and sunny. Yes. <laughs> uh yeah. Not not good. Not mm -hmm. good. What do you think, Nick? How did they get through their simulator training? How did they get through their annual simulator checks if they were behaving like this in the real airplane? I don't understand. I don't know what they were doing in, in the real airplane. If they can't handle something as black and white as this kind of uh, situation. I mean, you hear, winch your ahead, go around, yep. or go around, winch your ahead. Before you get to the reactive winch, you're, you're already initiating a go around. Absolutely right. But, I have no idea what they were thinking and why the hell they ignored two full wind shear warnings without, I mean, eventually they initiated a go around the first one, ignored it on the second one. Now, if they perhaps had got it for a fuel state so low that they couldn't go around on the second one, well, mm -hmm. you might vaguely understand that. But 
even so, uh, when you know you've got that huge amount of ground speed and you touch down not to get the reverses in as soon as possible, uh, you know, it just sounds like there's utter chaos. Yeah. Captain still landed with his altimeter set on standard pressure uh, settings. He hadn't even changed his altimeter setting hmm. after the previous game. I'm going, really? They, were they carrying out any checklists? Well, I have to yeah. tell you that I think the psycho-emotional state <laughs> caused by the inconsistency, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, of the I, psychological I, limit. Yeah. Maybe they were yeah. drunk. Oh, they were drunk. <laughs> <laughs> that's a vodka. I don't know. Oh, well. uh, that's what the Canadians think anyway. <laughs> Just a thought. No, that that, that would be, uh, uh, no, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Just not going there. I love the way that Dana does that. He just about says it. I know. Everybody can figure out what he's going to say, but he doesn't say it. So we're just, we're I'm good. not going to say it. I plead the fifth. But, you know, the bottom line is, is this is poor decision making. Poor airmanship. Yeah. Poor airmanship. Poor, poor decision making. Just poor, go. Poor leadership. Right. Poor threat analysis. Poor everything. Well, it's just so much. You could tick so many boxes there. Yeah. And if this person, these pilots have a psychological issue in making a decision like this, not, they ought not to be flying airplanes. That is true. Maybe they're not anymore. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. Um, let's move on to item J. And I do have to make one comment on, yes. on the list before we move on, on yeah. the list of, of uh, you know, the causes that they're kind of identifying mm -hmm. here. Yeah. Notably, none of them mention the fact of low fuel. Nope, they don't. So, that's so we just have to assume from the lack of the mention of it that it wasn't a factor. I don't yeah. think. Yeah. yeah if the sure. investigate, investigation board didn't find it, then it must be true. It must be true. True. It's yeah. true. Uh, might be I next, not J, unless you're going to skip one. Yeah, I'm sorry. I had already advanced, and then I advanced one more. Um, so let's try I. You're correct, sir. Aye, aye. Um, this is trying to escape and climb out the window. I, I, I think I, I think her uh, her dependents are depending on her for 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 food sustenance. Um, all right. Um, we said something offended her. She moved on. Well, I think that was it. I think what you were going to say, Dana, upset her so much that she had to leave. Yeah, but it wasn't going to be that bad. <laughs> oh, okay. I was going to say Canadians like Crown Royal. They do. They do. It's true. It's true. All right. Uh, another item from the Aviation Herald, avherald.com, one of our favorite sites. Um, Simon uh, writes a lot. An LOT, Polish Airlines, de Havilland-8400, registration Sierra Papa Echo Quebec Golf, performing flight 3924 from Krakow to Warsaw, with 59 passengers and four crew, was climbing out of Krakow. Is that right, Krakow? Yeah. Yeah. When the crew spotted a problem with the nose gear, stopped the climb at flight level 100, turned, returned to Krakow, but then decided to continue to Warsaw, climbed the aircraft to flight level 140. In contact with Warsaw approach, the crew indicated they intended a full stop landing on runway 11 right away. No lower approach was intended. Subsequently, an approach to runway 11, the crew indicated that they had an unsafe nose gear indication. The gear likely did not extend. An alternate gear extension had already been carried out. 
the aircraft positioned for the air, uh, the approach to runway 11. The crew reported they were 100% sure that the nose wheels did not come out. They both uh, they had both main gear, but no nose gear. They had checked it twice, uh, and they found out that it was naughty and nice. No. The aircraft landed on runway 11 and came to a stop on both main gear and the nose of the aircraft. There were no injuries. The aircraft sustained substantial damage. Um, let's see on the 15th of January, 2018 transport Canada released an airworthiness directed directive reporting a landing incident took place whereby the airplane's nose landing gear was locked in a partially extended position, uh, leading to a gear collapse upon nose landing gear touchdown. Um, let's see. I'm not sure I've read through this one here. Um, anything, significant about this no I'm, I'm i'm looking to see if they did an emergency gear lowering uh, procedure i'm assuming there is one for this type i would think so yeah uh, um i can't see any reference to it the report in the english version released on the 17th of january so very recently uh, of this year uh, states that the drag strut assembly folded into the wrong direction evident by the lower drag strut the electrical harness and NGLK2 proximity sensor face contacted each other. The report uh, thus states, the collision of the above elements was possible only if the strut was folded in the wrong direction. Therefore, the damage did not occur during the landing. Yes, sir. Steps arrived in the waiting oh, room. I was thinking like you guys wanted to say something very urgent. <laughs> okay. Well, he that, wasn't very discreet. Yeah, I'm just, carry on. It, I have no idea what you're talking in about. In my peripheral vision, I'm seeing people like all kinds of motion over here and thinking, what am I doing? Am I am I saying something wrong? Um, but of course you hear the lovely voice of Dr. Steph, and that means we gotta play her. Intro music and tell you that she is in her lakeside home in the Carolinas, and she's a doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument-rated pilot. Dr. Steph is with us. Woohoo! Hopefully you can still hear me and see me because my screen has frozen completely. Yes. So that's a good start. We can see you and hear you, and you're on the right microphone and everything. Isn't that awesome? It looks good. All right. Can you hear us? No, apparently not. Nope. <laughs> and with what you're doing, I might tweak my uh, internet. No. Okay. Well, go ahead and get that tweaking. Give me a minute. Give me a minute. Tweak that internet. <laughs> get a tweaking yeah. going, will you? Family show. Um, uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> family show. Okay. She Jeff, is going... I would. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, you about to say about something about Dr. Steph. Go ahead. I I was just going to say, why don't we just wait for her to sort out her issues, and then she'll rejoin us, and then uh, we'll up. Oh, there she is. Can you hear us? She is. We don't hear you though. <laughs> no. Nope. Nothing. Oh. Better. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. Yay. Yay. What's up, Steph? Things. Oh, not much. Just um, home from work. So. Well, Glad welcome I home for some of the show. Yeah. Welcome home. You did a good job. Yeah. Yeah. Not too bad. I was aiming for four o'clock and it is four o three. So good. I think I mean, you I was indoor got things kind of set up and even a little it. snack while I was doing it and opened a beer. So let's, let's do this. What else is Brilliant. 
All right. We're in the middle of the news segment, and we're talking about this. Um, uh, Liz, maybe you can help us out. The, um, Dash 8. The Dash 8. What's significant about that? Is there anything really? Well, Jeff, I was reading further down. Analysis yeah. of the uh, recorded data on on that uh, particular ship yeah. showed that in addition to hard landings, there were also numerous cases of landings where the nose landing gear sensor first responded, following followed by the main landing gear. Oh, that's not supposed to work that way. Exactly. So that's uh, the data from January 1st, 2017, uh-huh. the day of the accident, were now analyzed, and they showed that, were, that there were 69 such cases, well, so including one from the morning of the day of the accident. What do they call that? Wheelbarrowing? Uh, that kind of landing technique? Uh, you can call it a technique, I suppose. Um, I mean, it's not a good technique. <laughs> no. It's not an authorized technique. Um, yeah, wheelbarrowing. Wheel, yeah, like if you touch down on that, if you have a wheel. tricycle gear airplane, mm-hmm. touching down on the nose gear first is not recommended. It's not, the airplane is structurally not designed to land on a nose gear. I've mentioned this before, and I think it was a show title a long, long time ago, but my very first instructor said, pretend it's a little golden egg, and your job is to protect it oh, all the way down to that's sweet. service. Oh, the show title. Little golden egg. There we go. We already used it. It was already oh, a show Oh, really? Oh. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Liz, like was, Liz was writing it down, and she just scratched it out. I think just 69 landings. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's an that's an auspicious number for some people. <laughs> Not sure how we'd work that artwork, but uh, probably. Please don't. Uh, <laughs> family show, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, family show. Okay. Um, anything else to say about that? Don't land on the nose wheel first, if you can help it. Okay. Um, I mean, I haven't flown this airplane. Does it actually have a, a quite a strong nose down attitude? Uh, on the approach or something? Uh, it's a Q. It's a Q four hundred, isn't it? I yeah. think so. Yeah. 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 I, I don't. It doesn't have a pitch up attitude like most um, jetliners do that have slat, you know, leading edge devices. Yeah. So I think it does have a slightly nose, uh, or at least level n- nose level. I'm not going to say no negative nose, but I do know, like on the RJ, that two hundred. The like 200, crazy. It, it, it's kind of, you have to round out the, the flare. So I could see with maybe with it being a turboprop and maybe with the design that maybe it's not a nose high pitch attitude and maybe, you know, people are not flaring uh, as new pilots per se, uh, getting getting the sight picture down. So maybe with the way that the aircraft approaches, it's a possibility that, that it, you know, could okay. Thanks and, and usually they operate into very um, short runways for landing. That might be a part of it, you know, where you're you're almost having to fly nose down to get the thing down and then kind of round out. And maybe if you don't time it properly, you end up hitting the nose wheel first. I don't know. We do have APG community members uh, who are experienced uh, pilots on this airplane. So maybe they could uh, send us some feedback, Fabian. Um, so, uh, yeah, well, hopefully hear from somebody who flies the airplane. They can give us maybe a little bit more information about it. All right. Jay, can I do Jay now? Okay. 
Um, again, from the Aviation Herald, Finnair A320 at Helsinki on January 13th, 2020, flight attendant fell off aircraft. Is this uh, just another poorly worded um, headline or is that actually what happened? I think actually this happened. Oh, geez. Yeah, it was on the ground. It was not in flight. Oh, okay. Um, if it were in flight, then I'd say it was a poorly worded worded uh, headline. Right. But uh, a Finnair A320-200 uh, was uh, performing flight, blah, 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 450 from Alu to Helsinki, had completed – you like that? Alu had uh, completed an uneventful flight with a safe landing, had taxied to the gate. The passengers had disembarked. The flight attendant opened one of the aft doors and fell off the aircraft about three and a half meters down onto the tarmac. Emergency services took the flight attendant to a hospital. The airline confirmed the flight attendant fell off the aircraft while opening an aft door, a very unusual and rare event. Um, yeah, uh, looks like... Um, I'm going to skip to the bottom paragraph. Uh, after the flight, the aircraft was parked in the outer row of the apron. The passengers had safely exited the aircraft using the boarding steps and entered the bus. The staircase vehicle had backed up slightly away from the aircraft, but was still very close to it. The rear door was closed after the, after the passengers had exited and was soon reopened after closing. The crew member opening the door fell through the gap between the boarding steps and the aircraft to the ground and was injured. So maybe she or he, he or she didn't realize that it looked like the thing was still where it was before, but it was just far enough away that there was a gap and she didn't mind the gap. Yeah, about one and a half meters by the sounds of it. Why the the um, the crew st the stairs didn't move completely away, I don't know. But uh, they said they couldn't be driven away from the aircraft, so perhaps they because uh, um, the bus didn't problem. depart for some reason. Yeah, there yeah. may have been something. They put the blocking passengers it. on the bus. The bus was in the way. They couldn't ah, move the stairs away okay. from the aircraft, so it stopped. Yeah. That's know. a pretty big yeah. gap, one and a half meters. That's like yeah, that's, it's not a like small five or six feet or something. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I hope that she's going. Well, to Well, we've okay. heard of this sort of thing happening before with even uh, more unfortunate uh, results. So, yeah, this lady, at least she survived. Yeah, the three twenty mm -hmm. is not. You know, if it had been a uh, the airplane that Dana and I fly, um, you know, it probably wouldn't have resulted in as yeah, you much. You guys damage. don't even need steps, do you? you just they just come right on. off. Yeah. 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 You just do pull ups, pull yourself right <laughs> I, I it's think it's still, it was still hurt. <laughs> but, but not as much as I mean that the the uh, all the airbuses uh, are are way up there, you know. And then yeah, you've talked about we've talked about uh, episodes on wide bodies where flight attendants fall, you know, like 20 30 feet. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's horrible. I know how you survived that. Well, I feel many like don't. some haven't. Yeah. 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 True. Sounds like in this case, a couple of broken ribs, a fractured collarbone, uh, some wounds on her head requiring a couple of stitches. She is on her way to recovery. So That's good. That is good news. Yes. All right. Um, now, if it was me, I'd just bounce off the ground like a rubber ball. That's not true. Uh, somebody in my physique, of course. <laughs> boing, 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 boing. <laughs> um, let's see. Okay. Christina. He was a reporter for ESPN, was flying from L.A. to Chicago on Wednesday when the this is January 21st, 2020, when the plane diverted to New Mexico to remove a passenger. She wrote on Twitter, we had just had to land the plane in New Mexico to remove an unruly passenger. He was wasted, kicking the seats, hit a flight attendant, took his pants off. No, wait. 
Time out. Whose pants were taken Wait, off? Hold on. It, 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 go back to the 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 start of the article. It says unruly passenger took flight attendant's trousers off. You're paying way too close attention to the words that these you. agencies are using. That's why I've just been questioning all of these headlines. I know. I, it's like I don't know. you look at the headline: American Airlines forced a flight forced to divert after quote unruly passenger took flight attendant's pants off. I was imagining this passenger running up and just like pantsing, pantsing the yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. No. That's not what it sounds like. From the police, That's though. not what they're saying. Not at all. He took his pants off. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Dana, you're the expert. What's a handle of Jack, Jan- Jack Daniels? A handle? Yeah, a one point seven five liter. Oh, I did. I didn't know. Oh, that. my! That's like God. a big jug. He's mm-hmm. I think so. And I'm pretty, pretty sure. sure. I'll, I'll, I'll check the right. Daniels. He found an empty one of those. But yeah. how 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 in the world? What I what came through my mind when I read this is how one point seven five. Yep. Yeah, one point seven five. So how did some? How did he get through security with this big handle? Because I know once you're through security, you can't buy that. No, maybe he. Had and it's not like he was on an international flight where you could buy duty free. That could be unless a, he came from somewhere else. He's going well, from L.A. to one Chicago. One could argue that flying from Los Angeles to Chicago would be an international flight. Yes. <laughs> yeah, or international length. Yes. Here, let me uh, here. Let me play a little bit of the audio here. That uh, we can we can hear this guy. I think. Wait for it. They're going back to the back to get him. Okay, here we come. Get off my ass. my shoulders. Are- Low key, bro. You. Okay, wait. I'm sorry. It's breaking up for some reason. I'm try this guy. I feel like they're just bleeping the expletives. They are. That maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Because they're they're also covering his mouth up, so you can't read his lips. Low key, bro. You. And then spits out his gum or something. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you're right, Steph. I think they're just <laughs> they're just deleting all the. The reason why it sounds like it's just broken up is because there were that many expletives. Yeah, pretty much most of the words he was saying were expletives. Yeah. And if you watch the video, you look at the guy, and you can tell he's really wasted. Yeah. So I. So this flight landed at two fifty six p.m. Mountain Time. Wow, he's <laughs> so a day drinker. Kind of early in the day. <laughs> day for, drinker. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh man. Hmm. Okay. Well, we recommend that you don't do that. Not not a recommended way to travel. No, you might you know it might calm your nerves a bit, but it might also get you arrested. <laughs> You're better off taking the Mister T from the A Team in the eighties. That uh, way of doing it, and just get yourself knocked out. There you go. Week. Just don't even be conscious. Good, good, uh, good advice from Dana. All right. And finally, yes, we're all cheering. Um, (laughs) Manitoba man saved by unknown hero after heart stops in Toronto airport. Hmm. I wonder where we got this one, huh? Uh, Let's see. A surprise heart attack, a mystery hero and a missed wedding gave him. Sounds like a movie. Uh, Gave a man from Gimli, Manchester. 
Is that Manitoba. what it, oh, I'm sorry. The Gimli Glider. <laughs> the Gimli Glider. What country are you in right now? I Jeff? don't know. Why do they have to abbreviate it? Because people in Canada, ever... people in Canada would understand uh, okay. Manitoba. Gimli but man. A, a surprise heart attack. Is a heart attack ever a planned event? I think tomorrow I'm going to have a heart attack. <laughs> it's no surprise. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to schedule it in for around two fifty p.m. Uh, I'll make my way to the hospital in advance. Okay, we have you on. Now we go from the title to now the the the, the body of the of the <laughs> article is really kind of a surprise heart attack. No yeah, the, way. The, the headline here was fine. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Definitely it succinctly summed up the uh, event. Anyway, folks, carry on. Our, our journalism schools are basically letting us all. I think down. we should. We could start our own journalism school I here. Think we could. Yes. For aviation for reporting. Yeah. I know what to do when I'm in, in retirement now. I'm becoming an aviation journalist and get everything right. Yeah. The Acme School. Of now, if you do that, schools. no one will listen to you. You've got to well, nobody be rubbish to me like in the this. first place anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, is that a big surprise? Nobody listens to me in the first place. Oh, of course they do. Course okay, they do. let's move on with the story. Uh, Stefan Tergesen, Tergesen, uh, the guy with the surprise heart attack, was trying to fly to southern India for his goddaughter's wedding on January 4th, but his final destination ended up being a hospital after he went into cardiac arrest. And it didn't even tell anybody so they could plan for it. Living in rural Manitoba, Turgeson's first flight was connection from Winnipeg to Toronto. The flight ended up getting delayed, put his next flight from Toronto to India in jeopardy in a rush to catch it. He grabbed his carry-on luggage and ran across Toronto Pearson International Airport, making it to the gate moments before the plane started boarding. I stood up and had a moment of feeling a little bit lightheaded dizzy said Turgeson. The next thing he remembers, I'm on a stretcher and I'm being loaded into the back of an ambulance and the fellow there is telling me my heart had stopped. After arriving at the hospital, he underwent angioplasty on two arteries and had a stent installed. When Turgeson was done with surgery, doctors told him how lucky he was. The first thing out of their mouths was, you should buy a lottery ticket, he said. Typical Do doctor joke. <laughs> Doctors told Turgeson his heart suffered almost no damage, attributing it to how quickly he was revived. Uh, Turgeson went to thank the paramedics who saved him, but they told him he'd already been revived by the time that they got there. After talking to Air Canada, Turgeson was able to fill in the blanks of what happened. When he collapsed, a nurse in line to board the plane immediately started giving, giving him CPR. The quick-thinking nurse then used a nearby defibrillator. defibrillator? Defibrillator. Nope. Thank you. Defibrillator to jumpstart Turgeson's heart. Have I told you how good this beer is? It's really good. What are you drinking? I think you'll recognize Something pretty it. strong, I think. <laughs> oh, I've had that uh, one. I know. It's very good. It is. I agree. Defibrillator. 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 Uh, it doesn't matter how many times you say it. Jeff. It just doesn't sound right. <laughs> Defibrillator. It's, it's like our pronunciation of Farnborough. 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 never going to be Defibrillator. 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 I just like to call it the DF. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll also be starting the Acme School of Phonics. <laughs> Acme School of Aviation Eubonics. Um, or Ebonics. 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 <laughs> she's a nameless, faceless person I've never met and may never meet her, but she's my hero, says Turgeson. Extremely grateful. He realizes how fortunate he was. My luck was outstanding. I was in a bad scenario that turned best case scenario. Air Canada said the nurse was upgraded to first class after saving his life. 
Good uh, job. As well, well as you should kind be. Of a, yeah, good job. Yeah. Yes. Big applause. Heart. That's a heartwarming story. In yes. many ways. No pun intended. No pun intended. <sighs> All right. Whew. Yeah. Wow. Go and through the that. Next line is having a heart attack was a big surprise. Yes. For Jurgensen. No way. <laughs> There's no way it was a big surprise. No, you don't think so. No. You know what? It, you know uh, that there is a, another aviation link in this story. So it said he's oh. from rural Manitoba, but he said it said he's from Gimli. I mean, you can't let that go by without making. Yes, the Gimli it. glider yeah. that used to be an Air Force base that was closed down. They were using it for drag racing, and a seven sixty seven ran out of fuel mm-hmm. and landed uh, dead sticked into Gimli Airport Gimli. in it's Manitoba. I like to call it Man. Yeah, Manchester. Manchester. Yeah, it's also the home office for. Crown Royal. Is it oh, really? Did not know that. That's what Christian Basis said. Really? Crown no. Royal's home office is in Gimli, Manitoba. Wow. I did not know that. So it's a famous place. Folks, you come here for the aviation, but you really stay all for about the, the booze. Stay booze. for the trivia. Yeah. The is that where manatees come from? Mm-hmm. Manatees? That's it. Yeah, exactly. Come from Manitoba? Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. I'm just checking. <sighs> Getting to know us. <laughs> probably don't want to no the run away now yes run away if this is the first time you're listening to the show it's probably best to unsubscribe as fast just as you hit can. stop <laughs> delete because it will be a phenomenal waste of your of your life but we're we're happy that you're here ah <laughs> oh, so stuff yes have you been doing anything interesting lately Probably yes. not, because you never do anything. No, I never do anything interesting. When was the last time I talked to you guys? It's been oh, two weeks. Has it? No. Yeah, last week um, you did the show on Tuesday mm-hmm. while you were still in the UK. Oh, that's right. Correct. And you were not available. You were working. I was not available. I was not working. Oh, where were you? You were, what no, were you doing? No, so... Um, if you follow NASA online, occasionally they put out these applications for these social events. Um, so you apply to it and you kind of have to tell them, you know, how many social media followers you have and things like that. I've applied to a few in the past, mostly fun things like rocket launches and whatnot and not been selected, which that's okay. That's okay. Um, <laughs> but you don't, this was, huh? you don't seem upset about it at all. Not upset at all. Not upset at okay. All. Um, I'll keep applying. There's no, there's no reason why I can't. Um, but I applied to uh, event, an event that they were having in Virginia um, at their Wallops Island uh, facility. Um, and actually, this one was very interesting to me because um, I don't know if I've, I've probably discussed this here before, but my um, my childhood um, dreams and aspirations were to grow up to be a meteorologist. And I, I kind of ditched that when I realized how much math was involved because I was never bad at math per se in class, but just not a love for me. Um, was not excited about that and kind of felt like it would ruin things for me. But anyway, so this was a NASA social event to come in and learn about some of the um, weather research that they do as well. So it was up at their Wallops Island uh, facility, like I said. Um, And what they were talking about and trying to disseminate information about is this project that they're starting, um, actually started Wednesday last week, uh, basically going to span uh, three years and then another two years of kind of data um, analysis. Um, but what they're looking at is uh, snowstorms that impact the Atlantic coast of the United States. So apparently this is something that you think would be researched 
um, kind of on a regular basis for forecasting and meteorologists and whatnot? Well, the answer is it has not been apparently for the past 30 years. As such, our uh, forecasting tools are not the greatest and it's difficult to predict where those really heavy bands of snow are going to set up and, and things like that. So what about thunderstorms? Mm-hmm. Thunder snow. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. Jim Jim Cantori is a big thunderstorm, <laughs> Loves it. thunder snow guy. Loves it. So, um, so this project is called Impacts, and NASA, like many uh, uh, similar to aviation, they're a big fan of uh, acronyms. So it stands for Investigation of Microphysics and Precipitation for Atlantic Coast Threatening Snowstorms. Impacts. There you go. Ah, um, rolls right off the tongue. Yeah, right off the tongue. <laughs> But really interesting stuff. Um, we kind of had an overview first of the the project, how they submitted the the idea for it, and why it was picked, um, and its importance to basically, uh, you know, especially here within the United States for for many reasons. Not only for um, from the aviation side of things. Oh, hello, Alexa. Sorry if you heard that. <laughs> um, the aviation side of things, and um, just forecasting in general, how it impacts. There's, you know how many millions of people live along the Atlantic coast, basically from the mid-Atlantic up into New England that are impacted yearly by big snowstorms and trying to be more accurate in how things are are predicted and kind of with a bent of eventually being able to use some of the things that you say, why is NASA interested in this? Using satellite forecasting a little bit more accurately so that you don't have to, uh, you know, rely on so much ground-based equipment. Um, but basically the way they're setting up this experiment or this, this study over the next three years, is to uh, take a couple of different aircraft. They're going to take a P-3 Orion and then also um, an ER-2, which is like a modified U-2. So they're going to have the P-3 Orion kind of flying a racetrack around through these snowstorms when they, you know, uh, materialize and appear on the, on the East Coast. Um, and then they're going to have the ER-2 flying the same kind of racetrack, but up at like 60,000 feet with instrumentation on board that kind of simulates a satellite. So that way they can take real-time measurements from within the storm itself uh, from on board the P-3 and then also correlate with how that looks on the instrumentation on the ER-2. So really cool stuff. Um, they had a nice tour of their their flight facility. Um, they're like, they said, yeah, we'll have aircraft there so you can come and tour the aircraft and see the actual aircraft we're going to be using. Well, they had the P-3 Orion. They did not have the ER-2. That was coming up the next day, which was very disappointing because I really wanted to see the ER-2. Anyway, um, they also had a C-130 that was in the process of being transitioned out of a previous assignment and was going to be um, uh, going down to Texas, I think, to Galveston, perhaps, as part of the Gateway Project for for Artemis. They were going to use it to test the tensile strength, uh, basically, of parachute lines for uh, recovery modules for returning astronauts. So that was kind of interesting as well. Um, they do launch rockets from this flight facility as well. Um, a lot of um, sounding rockets, which are basically ways for for folks to um, to submit proposals and grant ideas and test space related um, instrumentation. And they'll build these rockets and you know send them up into um, whatever altitude they're they're looking for, basically. Um, so we got to tour their their mission control center. Um, kind of find out a little bit about how that process works. Interestingly, as they're most, um, you know, you think if you're um, launching a rocket, so certainly you think about the aviation implications for that and having, you know, a, a designated safe area. Um, they said their their most challenging aspect, though, is being right on the coast. They're basically on the Delmarva Peninsula, just right into Virginia from Maryland, um, is actually a, a boating craft. So 
they have a lot of difficulty clearing out their safe area in the water. So on the day of, of launches. So very yep. cool stuff. I'm, I'm uh, very thankful to NASA for the opportunity to go and do that. I posted some of those pictures to our Instagram account because um, I was trying to get them out kind of in real time. I actually still have more pictures to post. And I'll probably put a lot of those on Twitter as well through the APG crew when I get a chance to kind of organize better here as well. So did, did you see the SpaceX um, uh, Dragon capsule uh, abort launch there? Uh, no, I did not did not get a chance to see it. Oh, you didn't see that? Oh, you're right there. when they We were... did see it. We did get to see a weather balloon launch, which uh, launched into like straight IMC. It was a very rainy, foggy day. So you could see it for like... I'll post the video. It's kind of funny. It's like 20 seconds of balloon launch <laughs> well, and then it's gone. Oh, goodbye. Yeah. Uh, I was just joking, by the way. That was actually no, 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 Cape I Canaveral. I know. Yes, but for the people not. that are watching right now, they're going, Jeff's is such an idiot. Like that was not in Virginia. It wasn't in Virginia. Um, dumb. Mm. Yeah. But but really cool stuff. And um, if you have a chance to go and do, um, join any of these NASA social events, uh, I'd highly recommend it. It was a lot of fun. Free, uh, free booze? Uh, no. And uh, but lunch was pretty good. I think I had to pay for lunch, but it was still uh, it was still very good. <laughs> um, so that was Tuesday. So um, so did you get your name in for an application to become an astronaut? No, and you know I, I, mm. I don't know that I really have grand designs and aspirations to actually do that. I think if really? I were, if someone if someone showed up today and said, "Do you want to go to space tomorrow?" I'd probably say yes and just go and do it. But like thinking long term stuff. No, there's a lot of places to explore on Earth first, for me anyway. Cool. True. But true. And then uh I was just <laughs> I was just on vacation as well. That was not vacation, that was, you know, personal interest uh personal day off of work, but uh actual vacation that I do once a year is a three night cruise with Wait a bunch a of once a year? friends. You do, do you do no, no, vacation this, this once particular, a year? This particular trip. Oh, okay. Okay. Is an annual three night <laughs> once a month. Cruise. It wasn't a conference. Though. Yeah, an annual uh, three night cruise to oh, the uh, the Bahamas. A ship we did conference. Key West this year. Yeah, ship ship conference. Um, really lovely weather this year. Um, missed the deep freeze in Florida by a day, so that was good. Had a chance to go to Everglades National Park as well. And the deep freeze, like sixty degrees in Tampa. No, uh, it was down into like the thirties near the Miami area yesterday. What? Yeah, oh, yeah. there were they were actually issuing warnings for falling iguanas. Yes, because the iguanas they go to sleep, and <laughs> hibernate in those oh, cold temperatures, and they fall out of the yeah. trees. Yeah. <laughs> Warning: falling iguanas. Yeah, it was a, a show title. Thing. <laughs> uh, but so, anyway, yeah, looks like uh, I, I saw a couple photos of you just down there at uh, Key West, uh, yes, southernmost the West. point in the continental U.S. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had like not been there before, so that was a, a good new place to visit what'd you think you're gonna live you're gonna buy a place down there live down there right on you know, key west Street. is a little a little on the touristy side for me i think i'd probably pick a, a smaller key yeah. to live on if i was gonna do that but the weather is lovely it was very nice cool anyway. all right well and when'd you get back i got back monday night so i worked yesterday i worked today i work tomorrow and actually i need to check in for my flight because i am going off to chicago on <laughs> Tomorrow afternoon, a conference. Yes, but I'm teaching. I'm actually. So I mean, it's like a, really a conference. Yeah. Yes, I'm actually ah, getting some cut. No, no, this is Chicago. I'm, I'm <laughs> you know, minimal compensation for time to be there, type of a thing. But it's a lot of fun to to teach other physicians how to do the procedures that I do on a day to day basis. Poke people in the back, basically backstabbing. 
backstabbing. Yeah. <laughs> well, very good. Let me go check in for my flight now while you. Okay, you go check in for your flight while we talk to Dana, Captain D. What's up, man? What's going on? Well, we're asking you, how's that uh, How's that Achilles tendon doing? Well, I'm the bearer of good news on that. It, uh, after having it in the cast a little bit over two weeks, about two weeks and three, four days, I think it was, um, it has uh, mostly healed up. It is no longer providing much pain at all, and I'm about 85 90%. Actually, it probably could go back to work. However, uh, I am being forced to take a vacation, so I leave. Oh, shoot. Does anybody work around here? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't. Nice it's only not doing. Nick, not no, Liz. I don't work. I don't. I don't. Work. <laughs> yeah, well, Nick, I think you do more work now that you're retired. Yeah, good you were when you were flying. But no, uh, so I am leaving with a group of 24 including my in-laws uh, we and my wife and I decided to go ahead and, and honor their 50th wedding anniversary with buying them a uh, a uh, um, cabin on a cruise ship with us to join us on um, well, actually not a cabin but a balcony cabin nice one uh, for the 10-day cruise Ooh, nice. nine nights 10 days so we leave on Friday and we're going to a place called the ABC Islands I don't know if anybody's ever heard of those but that's in Rupert Bonnier in Curacao. Oh, I was not. I didn't get any of those. Yep, uh, I had them all, but my mic was muted. But I knew uh, what you were talking about. Yep, oh, I good, uh, good scuba diving in Bonaire. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I actually, assumed it's where Sesame Street was made, but obviously, <laughs> the uh, yes, it was made in uh, uh, right there in Bonaire. But no, uh, my uh, <clears throat> my father-in-law is extremely excited because he is a scuba diver as well. And I'm going to be guiding him when I when we go to all three of those islands. Uh, we're going to dive all three of them. That's at least what the plan is. And that was one of the beyond obviously missing out on work. And I, and, and quite honestly and quite frankly, I am very much uh, missing being in the flight deck. Uh, I have not flown in a while, and and it's uh, you know when you want to fly, it's that's a great thing, and uh, I do miss it. So, but anyways, now I'm healthy enough to be able to uh, go ahead and uh, utilize my foot to do the scuba diving. And I had uh, a very nice gift arrive, and I'm trying to get it set up so you can see it on the video, and I'll explain it to you on the audio. But I have these beautiful cards and these beautiful maps sent to me by Eric Ryback, a uh, friend of uh, a very good friend of uh, um, Micah. Mm-hmm. Who had asked me for my address, and I have these cards that have the maps that are all inclusive of uh, the actual islands. Uh, in it's addition Micah's to Kreplock brother, that's correct. Whatever that means, Kreplock brother. Yes, that's right. He is an he's his fellow tribal member, and I've emailed him directly to thank him, and I'm going to thank him publicly. But they uh, the uh, maps are Frank. Anybody that listens to the uh, podcast, Franco Maps, they have maps uh, over 200 maps and cards for around the world for a lot of the diving hotspots. So um, uh, I've studied them, and they are actually very well done. And so I'm looking forward to u- utilizing those. So thank you, Eric, for sending those to me. And uh, I will, uh, as promised, will uh, share the word. Uh, also, other than the flying uh, part of it, I was going through an old pile of mail. I have no idea how it happened, but I had a couple cards that were sent to me by the lovely Barbara Parrish over there in the UK. Um, and she sent me a nice uh, holiday card, 
a Christmas greetings, and a Hanukkah card. Um, so I want to thank Barbara for those wonderful cards, uh, for sending those over to me. Uh, today, I uh, from George Nolly from uh, playing from uh, Ready for Takeoff. He sent me a T-shirt which I've hung up behind me over here because when I opened it up, I was I got a notification that there was an Amazon package coming, and uh, when I, I looked at my Amazon account, I said I didn't order anything, so I was quite interested to see what was being delivered, and I opened it up, and there was a nice T-shirt from George Nolly. I looked at it and I laughed my butt off. What it's is a small. What size? Okay, that's small. <laughs> I looked at this and I went to. Does this mean I'll be receiving your T-shirt in the mail later? I don't on? think okay. this would even fit you, Doctor Steph. What? Yeah, it would. It would fit me. Okay, well then I'll hold it for you because <laughs> apparently George has responded. That's not what I ordered. I ordered you an extra large. I said, well, you might want to do a two XL because <laughs> an extra large still won't fit me. Um, but anyways, thank you very much, George. It's a beautiful T-shirt. I cannot wait to have the opportunity to uh sport that on on my uh sport those threads on my on my uh, upper body uh anyways and the last thing is is i have the unique opportunity i've been invited uh, as a representative of our podcast to a local meetup that happens tomorrow night and uh, we haven't talked about it because it's actually an invitation only but the traffic pattern podcast by derek vento is having an aviation meetup here in the atlanta area so i'm going to attend that tomorrow so i will not be here on the show obviously next week however when i get back i intend to uh update us on how that yeah, goes let us know how that goes that's great i'm looking forward to it, hey, it um you said you were um has the episode with you on uh george nolly's ready for takeoff podcast been published it has been published okay. as, as a matter of fact and he texted me uh no didn't text me he emailed me and mm -hmm. i've got to read what uh um what do you say here uh oh i think he said something about um they took his podcast off all the podcast directories after listening to he, that he, he did as a matter of fact that's exactly <laughs> what he said he said dana because of you 365 episodes which is a full year of course uh 365 episodes after the, your episode which is 365 i am no longer on the air thank you very much for your contribution <laughs> to my fantastically uh, now downgraded podcast to nothing cast oh, <laughs> that's not what he said it's not, not what he said at all he said hi dana your episode has already gone past 1000 downloads in less than a week that's a new record Oh, nice. I was sorry to, yeah, I was sorry to hear about your Achilles tendon. Uh, yeah, that's a really and, and blah blah blah. So, anyways, uh, yeah, so over a thousand downloads. I don't know why people want to listen to me, but I guess they do. They do, and we'll put a link to that podcast in the show notes. That's because they think you're Princess Diana. <laughs> oh, I'm a princess, all right. <laughs> okay. Check out my hair. <laughs> Very nice, nice blonde hair. No, congratulations. That's good news, mate. Yes. Yeah, that's uh thank you George for taking the time to interview me and uh you know just uh, that's about it. Uh, nothing nothing really aviation related other than tomorrow night and we're looking forward to uh, Derek's event. Cool. All right. Well, I hope you have a great time on that uh cruise. Can't wait to hear about it. Um uh, Nick. Uh, not much to say from England having kicked you back off across the Atlantic on yeah. Wednesday. Uh, a lot of cleanup I, to do after uh, after I left the house, I'm sure. Sorry, say again? A lot of cleanup uh, after I uh, yeah, destroyed your home. Yeah, there was cleanup on aisle three and uh, a lot of cheering as well. As you, <laughs> may, you may not have heard it as we went down the road. I did, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was kind of rude that you didn't wait until I you were so. out of your uh, show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
we um, uh, had a relaxing day. Adam Spink dropped in on Friday uh, for a cup of tea because he had been working down uh, at the air traffic center um, at Swanwick, which is kind of halfway. We're kind of halfway between uh, London and Swanwick. Uh, so he popped in on the way home, uh, showed me his uh, brand new Tesla, which was very impressive. And I must admit, I, I was pretty actually impressed with uh, how clever it is and how fast it goes, etc. Very good. Uh, and it was his birthday, so he we had a little birthday celebration. And um, then on Sunday, I drove up to the Cywell Museum. Uh, for uh, their, uh, to give them a lecture uh, on um, my Air Force flying. Uh, and so, well, um, there's a lovely little airfield there, and they have a, a sweet little museum which is uh, only open mainly in the summer. It kind of opens Easter and closes again in the autumn. Um, but it uh, looks great. They've got some nice little exhibits there, some great airplanes. And uh, they, in the winter months, they hold lectures to raise funds for the museum because it's all run by volunteers. Uh, and I was really pleased with how well it was attended. Uh, the place was, uh, you know, every seat taken, which was lovely. Um, the chat went very well. A delightful bunch of uh, ladies and gentlemen uh, who... You know, participated, uh, you know, asked lots of questions, uh, seemed very interested uh, in what I had to say, which was brilliant. Uh, and there was, I mean, I passed plenty of cards around, so hopefully we'll get some folks uh, from the audience now listening. And there was already one person who um, is uh, already a listener. Now, sadly, I didn't make a note of his name right at the moment. And of course, that's some days ago, so I've forgotten that. So, Drop me a line, will you? Uh, feedback at airlinepilotguide.com uh, or just, uh, is it Nick or Captain Nick? I can't remember. Anyway, by the by. Uh, probably both. Probably both, either. Uh, at uh, feedback, sorry, uh, Captain Nick at airlinepilotguide.com. And remind me who you are, and I'll be sure to give you a shout out on the next show. Uh, so that was a, a really nice uh, day there. On the way home, uh, I stayed that night at Nigel, Captain Nigel's place oh that um, can't be good it wasn't good no how, how late were you all uh, up uh, enjoying each other's company 3 a.m uh -huh. actually it was a little after <laughs> I, I drank all his gin i think <laughs> good for you most of his beer a considerable amount of wine uh, anyway we we put the world to rights so if the world is better for you now you can thank uh, Nigel, myself, because we're the ones that did it for you. <laughs> well, done. thank you very um, much. Well done. Yeah, yes. you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, eventually, drag cruise I took, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Drag my sorry backside out of bed the next day, uh, headed home, and not much else has happened uh, since then. Uh, tomorrow, sadly, I'm off uh, down to Plymouth, which is a reasonable distance from me uh, for a family funeral. Uh, not my side, Julie's side, uh, side of the family. So we'll be down a few days from there. Um, and because of the amount of time I've been doing things like the Cywell lecture and setting all that up, uh, the next couple of plane tales, today's and next week's, are going to be uh, experts from my logbook. So I can do those fairly quickly, which is the only reason they're in there. I wouldn't normally um, in flick those on you quite so much. I always anyway. enjoy them. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, brilliant. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoyed this one. 
And that's it from me, sir. No problems. Very good. All right. And as Captain Nick mentioned, uh, I left the wonderful uh, Shay Anderson um, on Wednesday morning and got home Wednesday evening in the U.S. And I was home for um, a couple of days and uh, noticed that uh, Acme was uh, handing out some green slips. I did need to pick up a little bit of extra time because I dropped the trip that week uh, to uh, so that I wouldn't feel pressured to come home right away from London. And really, really glad I did that because I had a great time over there at uh, Nick and Jilly's and uh, especially the the – the experience at the pub with the pub quiz and stuff. That was a lot. Oh of fun. yeah. We won the pub quiz. And so I thought, you know, I need to add a little bit more time and heck just for the heck of it, I'll put in a request for a, uh, a green slip. And I, I got one, just a quick, um, very last minute, one leg up to, um, uh, a, uh, what a middle, mid-size midwestern anyway uh got in kind of late and then uh left the next uh morning um just a, a nice little uh out and overnight and back and uh, was back in time just barely to sing at the vigil mass on saturday not time for the uh, rehearsal but time for the actual mass itself a little bit of a uh, delay uh the flight coming in to uh that airport and then getting to atlanta and then of course on the weekends when you're riding the light rail system here in atlanta they they do weird things and uh it took me a little bit longer than i expected to get home but i made it i made it and then uh yes i was going to ask you how did you both win the pub um, trivia contest if your accuracy is only 50 percent? well there were other people there and they that made up for yeah Jilly was there. Uh, She's at 100 percent. And uh, was it Robin and yep, um, yep. Uh, the other gentleman's uh, name? Tick. Tick. Yeah. Yep. How could I forget that? And exactly. uh, they they kind of made up for uh, for Nick and I. <laughs> Actually, we made a good team. Yeah, we did. We did. That was a lot of fun. All right, and then uh, home on uh, Sunday and Monday, and then back out here on this trip. Left yesterday, uh, Tuesday through Friday, and here on Wednesday. Uh, the best part of the trip. It's great. Here, uh, Glad you're here. And Liz's wonderful condo. It's beautiful. Uh, all decked out in all her furnishings and decorations. And Feels like home now. Yeah, it does. So, and I'm really looking forward to uh, dinner she's going to cook for me. And uh, so. Wait, I'm on, my, I'm on my way over. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think I have a flight to catch. We'll set another couple of places then. Shrimp well, at least if I come up with, and visit, I can. What is it? Shrimp get pasta with pasta. Ooh, shrimp pasta. Mm. Ooh, I'm definitely on my way. Looking forward to that. Okay, and uh, that's it. Yeah, uh, tomorrow uh, in Cleveland, and then uh, home early Friday morning, and then I'm sure I'm doing something the following week. I just don't recall exactly what it is. Some kind of trip. That's it from me. I, don't, I didn't have any meetups or anything else. Just uh, trying to recover from the great time uh, being over in England, spending time with friends. That was a lot of fun. It was. And thanks very much for uh, hanging around. It was great. Yeah. Well, I hope hope I wasn't too much of a, an inconvenience for you all. Yeah. Well, as long as you don't come back till next year, it's fine. <laughs> Get to recover. <laughs> you can only take so much of me. 
hey, Nick, I'm coming over next week. Did you, did, as soon as I'm done with the cruise, I have like a week and a half off still. So, so can I? Oh, what a shame. <laughs> okay. you said I'll be, I'm going to be there in April, yeah, no matter whether you want me or not. We're, we're going to be out. <laughs> yeah, don't don't press me for any details. <laughs> yeah, I've we're decided just, way. Yeah, we're we're gonna be gone, <laughs> honey. We're gonna be gone, right? <laughs> All right. Uh, let's do a quick uh, coffee fund because the coffee fund is your way to donate. How much more coffee? Donate okay. or contribute to our show. Did I forget something? So the way Steph is looking at me, like I'm, I'm forgotten oh, something. No, I mean Liz didn't really update us, but she, what's that? Oh, I said Liz didn't update us. I mean she's oh, here. She's I, on I'm the sorry. show I'm today. Sorry, I'm so into the uh, the normal crew that I didn't think of. Liz, tell us what you have been up to since I'm, the last time that you were on the show. I'm retired, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> well, certainly. I mean, you live, moving into the condo has been occupying quite a bit of your Sold my house, time. moved into the condo. Yeah. And um, decorating. It looks yeah, lovely. Thanks. Um, and I have spare bedroom. So anybody wants to come and visit Steph, come on back up and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. love to have what about you. That, what, what about that cruise that you were on? Um, the conference that you were to? No, never mind. That's You're, that's not me. That's not you. Okay. No, I don't do that. You don't do cruises? No. Yeah. No. Annie, I know that you like to go up to... Um, your, Go to cottage country, uh, cottage. country in the summertime. That's yeah. planned, yes. And uh, probably not a good time to go this time of year. Well, a lot of people do go up there, but uh, you sort of have to be one of those people that likes running around on snowmobiles or skiing okay. and stuff like that. Does the lake freeze over? Very much so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Both my brothers live up there, so I steer clear. Ah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from the brothers. Wise. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's great to have you come and visit, Jeff. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, I'm so happy to uh, do the show from here, and it will not be the last time, that's for sure. Let's hope not. Yeah. All right. So I do apologize for No. I just kind of get into a routine. Nothing interesting then... going on here. Okay. Sorry. I was right. I, we I we was... like to, We regardless, we wanted to hear. I want to put people uh, on the spot. Thank you for the update. Yeah. You're Sorry. <laughs> My fault. Yeah. Thanks, Tom. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. All right. The coffee fund is your way, dear listener, to contribute to the show financially if you have the resources to do so. If you're somebody out there that uh, doesn't have extra cash, you're spending it on important things in your life like uh, like shelter and clothing and food and flying lessons and that sort of thing, we don't want your stinking money. But if you have some extra cash and you want to help support the show, the Coffee Fund is your way to do it. And we have a couple of different ways to do it. Uh, the Coffee Fund Classic method is uh, via PayPal, where you can make a one-time contribution or um, a recurring uh, contribution. Since the last show, recurring contributions from David Lieb, uh, Chris Randall, and Terry Liu. Uh, and we also have some individual payments from Richard Adams and Randy Ward. So thank you very much for that. And if you want to become a patron of the show, you can uh, by 
heading over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee and learning about how to do that. And uh, since the last episode, we have two new producers. We have a new producer, Cameron Harper, and a new executive producer, Randall Eccles. So thank you for our new producers and everybody who contributes to the show via the coffee fund. So if you want to check it out, head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. And trust me, you'll be glad you did. Captain, incoming message. All right, let's uh, hit the feedback folder, the mailbag, and we'll start with uh, item one, Texas Anla Shock. Greetings, Captain Jeff and APG crew. Well, if you're a fan of the 747, it's a sad day as KLM has scheduled their last flights with that equipment. So if you want to catch a ride on one, you're running out of options. And once they're gone, we probably won't see anything like it again for a good long while, if ever, since the A380 is apparently also now on its way out. Jumping tracks, I just heard APG 407 with plain tales about drag. I actually... I'd actually heard about the Convair 990 previously on a YouTube video about how the plane came to be and why it didn't succeed. The thing did present an interesting profile, not only from those speed blisters, but also that long pointed nose. This comes from a channel called Mustard, which seems to be more of an engineering channel uh, than strictly aviation. The first video it did was about why there are are sometimes bathroom cabinets sealed inside your walls. Huh? (laughs) Why? How do you get to them? (laughs) Uh, But over half the videos on there are. I think my personal favorite is the one about the TU-114, the Soviet airliner developed from the Bear Bomber. Overall, it's very well done, has a slick professional look, and interesting topics. Very much uh, different than our show. Glad Captain Jeff liked the new airport here. I did discover one drawback coming back from California after Christmas, and that is that there is little to no seating in the claims area, which uh, was a drag since the baggage from our flight took 45 minutes to get out to us. No checked luggage if you can help it. And it wasn't Acme flight, I guarantee it, because we really get those. They They do a really good job getting the bags out like within 20 minutes or so. I think that's their goal. Um. Anyway, keep up the good work. Looking forward to the next show. This is the Texas Anla Shock signing off. Random aviation quote. I thought Captain Nick and other Airbus folks would appreciate this. Quote, yeah, this is my job. I watch buttons flash. Every now and then I push one. (laughs) Flight Lieutenant Jeffrey Joker Moreau on piloting the Star Frigate Normandy Mass Effect 2. Oh, so that wasn't really an Airbus. Aww. No, but it's a it's a great game. I played Mass Effect and uh, Mass Effect Two and thoroughly enjoyed them. Oh, I very didn't even know it was a game. <laughs> I thought it was. A no, it's not a movie. Note. It's a uh, <laughs> it's a really really good uh, sci fi game. Cool. All right, you knew that, didn't you, Steph? No clue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, you you uh, dinosaurs, you lot. Yeah, I don't. Hey, uh, two, Tom says he wanted to say he really enjoyed Captain Nick's recent technical plane tale and particularly the lesson on area rule 
It's been said before, but you have a real talent for bringing a subject to life, and I'm sure you could supplement that retirement income by doing an ATPL theory podcast. Just remember, it was my idea. What a great idea. Wouldn't that be fun? I'd rather slip my wrist. <laughs> I guess that's all the money making it that much more interesting for folks. Very kind of Good you. visual. I think if I put every ounce of my meager talent into that, I couldn't drag it up from the most boring subjects in the world Not level. Hey. I, I will say this this is completely unrelated, but there is a guy out there who did a bunch of lectures for. Um, basically for folks looking to, uh, in med school, looking to pass their board examinations. And his lectures were so good. Like they were kind of pirated and audio uh, recorded and disseminated to the masses. But I'm sure you could rival his uh, genius for making a dry subject very interesting. Uh, well, I'd do my best, of course, but uh, there you go. Uh, I'd, I'd need to find, uh, no, I don't think so. That's very kind of you to suggest it. No, you can't have any money. Well, Captain Nick... If you were to do an ATPL theory podcast, I definitely wouldn't listen to it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, Tom continues, really appreciate what you do. I was sad not to be able to make the PTUK 300 meetup, but hope to be able to meet up with at least some of you in the near future. Cheers, Tom. He must be over that way, I would imagine. Yeah, cheers, Tom, and thanks very much for your nice comments. All right. Um, three, Ramiro, another, uh, feedback about area rule, uh, while listening to the old pilots plane tales in episode 407, captain Nick answered a question I had about the Convair 990s unusual wing bumps. Besides being a great storyteller, you can actually learn something from the old curmudgeon once in a while. If you're paying attention, <laughs> yes. wow, that's kind of a backhanded compliment. Yeah, a little it? bit. You, yeah. I don't even know you, if I'd call it that. If you can pick the chaff from the wheat. Yeah. <laughs> Recently, I had to relocate from Southern to Northern California for work. I was driving up and decided to go through the Mojave Desert to see if I could get a peek at some of the parked airliners I know are stored out there. I made a small detour onto Highway 58 towards the Mojave Airport. While you can't get anywhere near the parked airliners, I did find the 990 on display at the entrance of the airport. It's parked next to one of Nick's favorites, the F-4 Phantom, and a small French jet trainer used to train test pilots. These three aircraft are just outside the airport entrance, and you can pull over and walk right up to them. I never expected to see a Convair there and, mis and actually mistook it for the 880. Then I noticed the speed bumps on the top of the wings. Because the airplane is in NASA livery, I just assumed it was an 880 modified for some sort of NASA testing. Not being familiar with the Convair 990, I didn't realize it was a 990 until I heard Nick's plane tale on episode 407. Now it's clear that the plane I saw there was, in fact, the 990, not a modified 880. I included some pictures from that day, which we'll include in the show notes. Keep up the great podcast, Blue Skies, Tailwinds, and the adult beverage of your choice. And again, that is from Romero. And he's got a now, nice picture. Of yeah, something. I was in touch with Romero, and he's mm -hmm. very kindly given me permission to put those pictures, or at least a couple of them, um, on the website when I put up that plain tale. Excellent. And I think I've been to that exact spot. I don't remember the 990 being there, but I certainly remember the Phantom there. And, of course, uh, I went around the airport and got a tour 
around the uh, aircraft where they're being broken up on the Mojave Airport. And um, the picture I use on my plane tails was one I actually took from the airport boundary just mm -hmm. outside the airport because they wouldn't let us photograph inside the airport of uh, those old airplanes. Oh, very neat. Very cool. Wow. It all wow. comes together, doesn't it? The circle yeah. of aviation life. Absolutely. All right. Item four. Mike. Hey, ABG crew. Fairly new listener. Started about episode 398. That is fairly new. And slowly starting to go through the back catalog, just waiting for the episode 408 to be uploaded. Um, I'm a captain on the Q300 based in Auckland, New Zealand, and have already picked up uh, on a few great bits of advice that I have added to my own personal toolbox. I love the stories of flying around the States. We're just a very small drop in the bucket compared to you guys. One day, I'd love the opportunity to come over on a second... Secondment. Secondment. Oh, I've never heard of that word before. It's you're loaned. You're loaned? It was seconded to the RAAF, I think. Oh, I second that there emotion. There you go. All right. Like loan, loaned out, basically. Mm -hmm. A loner. Okay. A loner, yeah. Anyway, says, dreams are free. Now, I've just listened to episode one, which Captain Jeff talked a little about when the Continental United merger went ahead and the inadvertent use of the 9-11 flight numbers. This got me thinking, or excuse me, this got me wondering. I'd love to hear your guys' experience on that day if you were flying or the days immediately thereafter. Now, you may have already talked about it once uh, on one of the 396 episodes I've yet to listen to. Yeah, we have. You can point me to the episode to listen to. I was fresh out of high school when it happened and was employed by an airline here in Auckland as a loader, check-in, dispatcher, and even at the opposite side of the globe, we had an instant change of life with additional security measures and protocols. Anyway, love your guys' work, and here's to many, many more episodes into the future. All the best, Mike. Well, thank you, Mike. Great to have you with us. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you might have a little... Uh, a little bit of the uh, syndrome. Syndrome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, we've we've talked about 9-11 uh, several times on the show, especially uh, what I would do is I go to the website, do a search for, uh, and there's a search uh, like a magnifying glass if you're looking at the website on, the, on a browser uh, for um, uh, Colonel Jeff. Um, Felmuth. Yep. Felmuth. I'm not sure. Just put all those in there. C-O-L, mm -hmm. Jeff, Felmuth. And he has a wonderful, and we've done it a few times um, on the show. Uh, he puts out a letter every year talking about his experience. And then we've talked about our own experiences as well tied to that. But I think that would be probably the best way to find uh, some of those uh, some of those episodes where we talked about where we were and what happened and that kind of thing on, on that day. But there's yeah. the highlighted thing, too. Oh, uh, APG. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even see it. <laughs> Liz puts something in there to, uh, and she highlights it so and puts it in bold, so that there's no way that you could any miss of it. us could possibly miss it. Yeah, I missed <laughs> it. We didn't. It was just you. No, yeah, I, we didn't. It was just Jeff. Yeah, just me. But we but figured since Liz was sitting right next. Thankfully, to Thankfully, the, the producer of the show sitting right next to me. She's elbowing <laughs> me right now. Sorry. Uh, APG twelve as the tenth anniversary of nine eleven, and the show was a remembrance of that day. So, check out episode twelve. That's a good place to start. And forget everything else I said about doing a search. Oops. Do the search do anyway. Or we'll you could do a search. Do yeah. both. Yeah. There you go. He's got yeah. the syndrome already. It's fine. That's true. Yeah. All right. 
let's see. It looks like uh, this would be a good time for us to do our installment of the Old Pilot's Plane Tales. And this week's episode, entitled RAF Form 414, Volume 5. And here we go. The Old Pilot's Plane Tales. RAF Form 414, Volume 5. Back by popular demand, a reading from my Form 414, the RAF document that's issued to every RAF pilot to become a permanent and legal record of their flying service. I left you on a bit of a cliffhanger with my imminent deployment to the island of Cyprus, the land of milk, honey and cochineli. Preparations for the fabled six-week deployment in the sun began early, as those who had been before began to regale us gunnery virgins with stories of this fabled land. It seemed to be a combination of the lost city of Atlantis and Valhalla, all wrapped up in one. Not only was it wrapped up in much traditional coming-of-age feats, it seemed to bear a mystical quality that would send the most hard-nosed and grisly pilot's eyes into a distant gaze and a tear might creep down a craggy cheek as they remembered times past. Whilst the squadron high-ups worried about the difficult stuff like which jets to take, most of them, how many spares they would need, lots, and how to get from a base in Scotland to an island the far end of the Mediterranean Sea some 3,000 miles away, fraught with terror, the rest of us got on with the day-to-day -day flying. Fully operational now, I was doing my regular stints on QRA. Three live launches in a week and no intercepts, I began to feel like a Jonah, and then the Lady Isabel Barnett, sorry Yanks, a very British joke, and I hunted down a four-ship of bears in the darkness, ploughing their way through the Iceland Pharaoh's Gap. I duly added three bear foxtrots and a bear delta to my count. Night added a very different perspective to a QRA intercept, as we were still expected to come back with an accurate identification of our targets and get their airframe numbers painted on the nosewheel doors. This required a tricky bit of flying. Formating on the wingtip, we would slide down a little and then follow the wing along towards the fuselage, remembering to stay away from those mighty NK-12 turboprop engines with their eight-bladed contra-rotating propellers, each with a diameter of 18 feet, that's 5.6 metres. Having positioned ourselves underneath the bear's fuselage with just the reflection from our fin-mounted anti-collision beacon, um, never was it more aptly named, to illuminate our way and with our heads craned back to keep sight of the monster above us, we would creep forward until the door and the apparently vital number came into sight. It's a good job they didn't write it in Cyrillic. On days when the beacon just wasn't bright enough to do the job, a quick tap of the afterburners and I could light the world up, 
as we accelerated past, the nav would grab the number and then we would pop out in front in full blower. What the hell the Soviet Bear pilots thought we were up to was anyone's guess. In between all this QRA fun, it was time for my annual instrument rating test under the stern and watchful eyes of our squadron QFI, Jabel. I forget all the tortuous machinations that he employed, but some are embedded in my memory. Whilst under the hood, a plastic cover attached to my helmet, which prevented any peeking at the real world, John would cry, Heads down! and then twist and turn the phantom inside out until my personal semicircular canals were well and truly spinning. Then with a shout of, Heads up! You have control! He would expect some action from yours truly. I would be given the aircraft in one of many ridiculous attitudes that would require quick action to recover back to straight and level. The extreme nose-high ones might need full reheat, a roll inverted on instruments, a pull down to the horizon and then a roll back right side up before he would grab the aircraft again and we would repeat the exercise. Then might come the Chinese weave. I have no idea why the Chinese were branded with this particular torture, but the pilot would be expected to follow a continuous stream of demands from the back seat, supposedly to simulate a demented navigator's instructions, of turns, climbs, descents, and speed changes of increasing difficulty. Descents or climbs came with a particular rate, turns with the need for increasing angles of bank up to and beyond 60 degrees, often with reversals and speed changes that might need full afterburner or idle and full speed brake. John's area of expertise was to get at least three events to happen all at once. Having worked up a good sweat, it was then time to do a practice diversion, followed by many instrument approaches, including the dreaded ILS. Now, the instrument landing system had been around for a while in the civil world, but not so in the military. Ground control approaches were the order of the day where skilled air traffic controllers would use the precision approach radar system to talk an aircraft down. The ILS was an add-on, and in the Phantom it was a small instrument, about the size of a watch face, with nothing but a pair of white needles with a few white dots scattered around. No flight directors to help, no autopilot, and I for one was never keen to use it. I much preferred the soothing voice of a PAR controller guiding me down through the Scottish gloop, until magically at a couple of hundred feet the glow of the runway lights would appear through the har, the local name for fog. The ILS needed much more, and now I needed to scan this little half-crown-sized instrument and interpret it. I had to decide how big a heading change to make to recapture the deviating localizer, work out for myself how much drift I needed to apply to stay on the centre line. I had to think about the headwind and decide what rate of descent would be required to stay on the glide path. When I started this game, my first proper instrument rating was coloured amber, so I had to add 300 feet to the approach minimum. 
Then came white, which took me to 200 feet of a normal decision height, and finally the green rating. That allowed the bearer the honour of going all the way down to decision height. To be operational, I had to fly to green limits, and luckily Jabel was in good humour that day. Phew. Then I was off again, this time doing intercepts on a Bristow's helicopter, who had offered himself as a target as he clattered his way from Aberdeen out to the North Sea oil rigs. As I completed the intercept, I tried to get back to his speed and formate on him, so dropped the gear and full flaps. It was never going to happen, but at least we didn't hurtle past him at the speed of heat and had time to wave at a few anxious-looking faces in the back. The trouble came when I tried to raise the gear again. Something in the world of micro-switches went haywire and the nose-wheel started banging up and down inside the nose-wheel bay, making the most awful racket. Nothing much ado, but put it all back down again, and crawl home below 250 knots. A couple more QRA intercepts, a bear foxtrot and a delta, and then the deployment was on us. Cyprus, here we come. So, dear listener, I can imagine you thinking that I leapt into my mighty phantom, pointed the nose south, and roared off into the distance. Not so, I'm afraid. I packed up my flying gear, tossed it all in the back of an old C-130 Hercules, along with piles of engineering essentials, hoochins, spares, gun pods, and the rest of the paraphernalia that would be needed, noted where the chemical toilet was, found myself a webbing seat, and settled in for the long and slow 3,000-mile drone to our airfrac criteria, our destination. On the way, I watched with growing envy at those who had done this journey before. Once in the cruise, they hooked up hammocks from the securing points around the cargo hold and comfortably swayed their way to Cyprus, looking like extras from the movie Cocoon, whilst my webbing seat became more and more uncomfortable. The monotony was only broken by the magical appearance of a plastic sack full of cardboard boxes containing rations for the seven-hour flight, a few curly sandwiches and a chicken leg. Such was the lot of the junior pilot. When we eventually touched down and taxied to Alpha Dispersal, where the squadron's phantoms were neatly lined up, the Herc's rear ramp dropped and the intoxicating smell of cypress met us on a waft of hot air, a heady mixture of tropical plants, the sea, and aviation fuel. Our annual armament practice camp was a well-hidden secret. This was where, every year, we strapped a pod which contained a six-barreled 20mm M61 Vulcan cannon onto the aircraft and spent six weeks gunning our hearts out over the med. RAF Akrotiri was on one of two sovereign base areas on the island, which were retained by the United Kingdom when Cyprus was granted independence in 1960. 
they have proved to be vitally important as strategic bases close to the troubled areas of the Middle East. And back in the 70s, the regular deployment of RAF squadrons was a way to ensure that we could be seen to retain a military presence in the area. The weather was also great, which guaranteed that we could accomplish everything we needed within a relatively short period. In addition, our presence bolstered the UN peacekeeping force that had been present on the island since the Turkish invasion in 1974, separating the Cypriot Greeks to the south, where we were, from the Turks in the north. None of that really mattered to me, as I had found Nirvana, Eden, Paradise, Telalokan, Folkvanger, the fields of Aru, Vaikantha, Tiananog, Elysium, Cocaine, here on Earth. It was warm, something I had forgotten existed after moving to Scotland, and there were brandy sours. Nowhere in the world can they make a brandy sour like they did in the officer's mess at RAF Akrotiri. When work finished and everyone jumped into the rattly APC vans, we would screech up to the bar, and there they would be, lined up by the dozen. It was a simple drink that was so difficult to get right that no matter how many times we tried when we returned home, it remained as elusive as the nature of love. And then it was time to head downtown for a meze and a bit of first-night madness. A fast black would be summoned, a large Mercedes taxi, the price negotiated, and we would hurtle off in a cloud of dust to arrive at a magical spot in the local town, Limassol, or Limassol as it was oft-named. Not the tourist trap it is now, but a quiet town full of local flavour. Little open-air, family-run restaurants lit by twinkling fairy lights, woven around pergolas covered in grapevines, and hardly a hotel or nightclub to be found. We crowded round a long table for a fifteen-course meal of local specialities. Huge bowls of salad, roughly cut up with tomatoes as big as cannonballs, crumbly feta cheese, pita bread, tzatziki, tahini, hummus, capers, olives, wild asparagus, tiny kebab sausages, enormous pork chops that must have come from pigs the size of elephants. It went on and on, and all the time the wheels of comradeship amongst us were oiled with free bottles of cochinelli. This is best described as a rough village wine, dark and red, decanted from an enormous barrel and served at the table in anything from soda bottles to kitchen bleach containers. But never before had something that came out of a Domestos bottle tasted so good. Apart from the odd grape stalk and a hangover that was as vicious as a kick from a mule, it was pure nectar. When we stumbled out, our fast blacks would be patiently waiting for us to take us back to the base, whilst we serenaded the unfortunate driver with a never-ending stream of unsavoury songs that are still fresh in my memory. 
After a few rounds of flaming Zambukas, it would be back to our sleeping blocks, famously decorated in squadron artwork from the dozens of units who had slept and puked in the same beds before. The Batman would wake us up early, with tea strong enough to melt the silver off the spoons and it was time for work. The first thing I would have to get was some tropical kit. The heavy woolen uniform wasn't really suitable for Cyprus in the summer, and I was very fortunate that Her Majesty had been kind enough to realise this, and gifted me a tropical uniform allowance to purchase what I needed. Even though the drinks in the mess were duty-free and scandalously cheap, I knew that at the end of six weeks I was going to run up quite a bill. I weighed up the cost of a tropical mess kit for dinners, number six tropical dress for formal occasions and working dress, all in khaki drill, and decided that I would probably get away with a pair of shorts, long socks and a short-sleeved shirt and throw in a pair of cheap local desert boots. The rest of my allowance would go towards a much more worthy cause. The van pitched up to drag us from Block 101 down to Alpha Dispersal at an ungodly hour. To avoid the worst of the heat, we started early and finished before the aircraft became too hot for the poor engineers to work on easily. For us, it was time to sit down in a lecture room, whilst the weapons instructors gave us briefing after briefing on what we were here to accomplish. Lots of safety lectures, this gun could be dangerous in the wrong hands, and there were a few, like me, whose enthusiasm was boundless, but not even closely matched by skill. We were here to obtain our ACE, Allied Command Europe, qualification at air to air gunnery. Our targets were large white banners towed by long-suffering Canberra crews from 100 Squadron. Within six shoots we had to achieve at least two scoring 15% or more. Get too close to the banner, inside the minimum range and your score would be zero. Shoot with too small an angle and risk hitting the camera and your score would be zero. The skill was one of many that made a good fighter pilot. It had been since the first days that scout pilots took to the air. Heroes were made of those who could gun down their opponents and even in the days of deadly missiles, if you came back from a training combat mission with a gun's kill, eyebrows would be raised. It sorted the men from the boys and I was going to be tested. I'd never tried this before and I was the most junior pilot on the squadron. My nerves were jangling as I tried to absorb all that was going on and before I knew it, the armourers were winding the guns full of shells. The aircraft arm signs were all around the dispersal I was climbing into my F4. How I got on? Well, that's for next week. Another tease from Captain Nick. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know me. <laughs> Such a teaser. Uh, yeah, love it. Love. I love a good teaser. Exactly <laughs> right. Yes, Maltesers are very nice. Keep hmm. them hanging on. 
Uh, yeah, exactly right. So I'm getting the impression from all these stories from uh, your uh, flying career in the uh, RAF and the RAAF that there was a little bit of drinking going on. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, the old adult, the odd adult beverage. But, oh, the odd, yes. Yes, exactly right. Uh, Cyprus, we had uh, an interesting rule uh, because uh, it was renowned for being a place where one might occasionally overindulge. Uh, we used to be given a joker. This was a, a sort of imaginary uh, card you could play. And if you were down to fly and you walked up, got to work and realized you really weren't fit, you could play your joker and you would be quietly uh, removed from the flying schedule. But you only got one joker per oh. detachment. So Ooh, use yeah. it wisely. Mm -hmm. Use it wisely. Exactly right. Did you use yours? Sorry? Did you use yours? Oh, of course. <laughs> I mean, there's no point coming home with it. You, you didn't hang on till next year. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, another all, one next uh, year. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Well, those stories. So, uh, just a question for you: Do you have all? You know, this is from your logbook. Um, do you actually have all this detail written down, or is it mostly from your memory? <laughs> well, I'm using the logbook as a cue to try and open up those little closed doors where I try okay. and forget things. I was Some say, liberties with details may have been taken. Yeah, my my logbook doesn't have any detail at all. No, I, no exactly right. I, I Using the logbook, I can remember what we did, and then, of course, everything all comes flooding back. Yes. Wow. Great. Good stuff. Thanks. Thank you very much, Captain Nick, for that. And uh, let's forge on and try to knock out some more feedback. What do you think? Yeah. All right. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, Christian, not too far from where we are right now in Richmond Hill, Ontario. He was in the chat room earlier, wasn't he? Was he? he? Was, yeah. I so, he was. Yes. Yeah, I think he might have gone now. Uh, he sent in some feedback regarding... Airbus demonstrating the first fully automatic vision-based takeoff. So he writes, so Airbuses really do fly themselves. Here's a link from Airbus on their first fully automatic vision-based takeoff using an A350-1000 aircraft. Uh, from the story, quote, the aircraft performed as expected during these milestone tests, tests while completing alignment on the runway, waiting for clearance from air traffic control, we engaged the autopilot said Airbus test pilot Captain Jan Bufils. Bufils? Bufil? Bofi. Thank you. I don't know. Helpless. It's Bofi. Bofi? Bofi. Beautiful boy. All right. Bofi. He is a beautiful boy. We move the throttle levers to the takeoff position. Uh, excuse me. Takeoff setting. Beautiful wife. And, excuse me? It's beautiful wife, actually. Beautiful wife? Oh. Yeah. Bofi. We move the throttle levers to the takeoff setting, and we monitor the aircraft. It started to move and accelerate automatically, maintaining the runway center line at the exact rotation speed as entered in the system. The nose of the aircraft began to lift up automatically to take the expected takeoff pitch value, and a few seconds later, we were airborne. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> it, was a, it was a cough. I'm eating these almonds, these wonderful smoked almonds that uh, Liz is uh, providing me with. And a little piece got stuck in my gullet. These pretzels are making me thirsty. Okay. Uh, so a link to the article in uh, from airbus.com 
will be in the show notes. And he said, maybe this can be installed on the Mad Dogs, and then the crew can focus on shoveling the coal. <laughs> oh, he's so funny. Very funny. <laughs> Hysterical. <laughs> all right. Um, with regards or warm regards to all of you, Christian Base in Richmond Hill, Ontario. My eyes are tearing from my from the whatever's caught in my throat, and I can't. Yeah, I can't, I can't really see too clearly here on the the words. Maybe I need to make I must them admit, bigger. I, I found this uh, a fascinating uh, piece because, uh, of course, it's been the one thing that. The aircraft has never been able to do for itself. We've never really had an automatic takeoff system. We've had automatic landing systems for many years now, but not automatic takeoff. So um, I guess it's just the next progression uh, after Tesla. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's just Couldn't a matter of his car down the road. I I'm, don't see why an airplane shouldn't be able to roar itself down the runway. And, you know, they. Uh, I watched the video of this, and they were manually hitting the – uh, the landing gear switch to raise the gear. And we know from automatic landing systems that we have to, you know, control the configuration of the airplane, the flap settings and the, and the gear uh, extension and that kind of thing. But there's no, I wouldn't imagine it's a big deal at all to kind of automate all that as well. You know, certain parameters met and then the gear comes down. And no, I seem to remember when I was uh, flying the very early, RAF Typhoon Simulator. Um, one of the things that I don't know this is this actually made it to the actual aircraft, but one of the things that British Aerospace were looking at was a single button to press to configure the entire aircraft for landing. So you would come in and you would just press one button, the gear and flaps would put themselves in the correct position, and all the systems would align themselves into a landing mode. So you didn't have to do a checklist, basically. You just pressed a button. That was it. Hmm. Well, it's the future, folks. <laughs> oh, George, you pushed the wrong button again. I'm just wondering how well it will cope with engine failures and mm -hmm. rejections during the takeoff, because doing a takeoff alone, I think, is fairly simple. The hard bit is deciding uh, when and how to reject and well uh, and how well to control or where will the system be well good enough to control the aircraft mm -hmm. particularly mm. in azimuth if you have an engine failure and how it will cope with low visibility procedures so i wouldn't like to be a pilot who only ever had to do a manual takeoff in low vis that would just be awful <laughs> yeah how do i do this again exactly <laughs> surely there will, there will be some limitations i would expect yeah oh yeah plenty i expect well, very good. Well, thank you, Christian, for sending that in. And if you want to read more about it, it will be in the show notes. Uh, item six, Tim. <clears throat> Hello, APG crew. Hope this feedback finds you all well. I recently discovered that King Willem Alexander was flying around paying passengers on KLM. Maybe you all had known this before, but it's news to me. So I'm sharing this info that is a couple of years old in case Anyone else missed it? Hope to see you all soon in another APG meetup, Tim Van Ram. And we have talked about the uh, the King on. Uh, so now we know that Tim doesn't really clearly listen to our show. That's, He's using uh, it as a sleep aid. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's probably somewhere in his con subconscious um, part yes. of the brain or whatever yes. that is. Um, because yeah, we, it's pretty cool though that. Um, 
Is I noticed in the last paragraph that it says the king's uh, learning to do the small fokker thing, but um, hmm. eventually he'll move up to the 737. So I'm very glad he he's not doing small fuckers forever. <laughs> Me too. Well said. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. Leave it at there. <laughs> phased retirement. <laughs> Landon writes... More Max. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, APGers, Dr. Dr. Captain Steph, Captain Nick, mm-hmm. Captain Dana, and Miami Rick, if you're still out there. Oh, yeah. hey, Captain Jeff. <laughs> I almost forgot about you again. <laughs> Thanks, oh. Landon. He says he was just kidding. Anywho. Thank you for the great answers on my last feedback I sent in. I sound funny. <laughs> what do I... What I do wonder now is that if you were given the bid opportunity to go to the 737 MAX, would you take it with or without an MCAS installed on it? Lots of fellow pilots do say that once the aircraft does come back into service, the MCAS will be bulletproof. I don't really believe that, but whatever. I've toyed with the thought of would I, as a passenger on Southwest Airlines, which is my favorite, get on a 737 MAX. Uh, us as pilots understanding the different risks that exist in flying and which ones we will or will not accept can be um, over the place. But one risk that I do not think we would bet on is any flaws that relate to a flight control component. This being said, um, I go back to the jack screw issue on the Alaska Airlines MD-83, which caused the aircraft trim to get stuck and nosedive off the coast of Point Magoo. I do not recall if an AD was issued on the MD-80 series, but I assume the problem was taken care of and corrected as it was uh, mechanical in nature and not automated. I ended up flying on hundreds of MD-80 series aircraft for years afterward. Granted, I was a kid at the time when it occurred. Yeah, I think that issue was more related to maintenance um, issues and not um a specific ad on the on the part itself um if there was nothing basically wrong with the part it's Mm -hmm. just that they had extended the period of lubrication testing and Mm -hmm. checking and lubrication to a longer and longer period at the request of the airline Mm -hmm. uh, and the faa had allowed them to do that until eventually uh they one that had not been lubricated properly for bloody ages Mm -hmm. failed and it stripped the uh, threads of the – actually, people said the jack screw failed, but the jack screw was intact. It was the Acme nut. Oh, the Acme nut. It's the yes. Acme nut. Exactly the Acme correct. nut um, was the thing that actually failed. Wait, are you talking about yourself again? Yeah, I'm the Acme, You're an nut, Acme nut. We're all Acme nuts, aren't we? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Acme Possible nut? show style. Acme yeah. nut? Thank you. I will. You nearly choked on one of those. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Jeff chokes on the Acme nut. There's another show <laughs> Okay. Um, also, what occurred when I was a kid were issues that the 737 300, 400, 500 series had with its rudder moving hard over and getting stuck in mid-flight. The aircraft became out of control and crashed. Deaths occurred. Deaths occurred as a result. Mechanical in nature, again, and not having anything to do with automation. Some re-engineering, and we're good to go. What I am finding nowadays that we are seeing more crashes due to the lack of synergy between human slash automation interface. Yes, that's that's always a problem, and I think it's even becoming more so now. Uh, with so much automation in the world, 
when are the pilots that fly these technologically advanced aircraft day in and day out or uh, will be flying them day in and day out going to be able to have a say in the design and capabilities of this, these aircraft? I think they should demand the right to have a say in what they fly or will be flying. Not that I do not trust what a test pilot does when putting these new aircraft into service, but one thing that they are doing is that they are working for the manufacturer. They're not a neutral third party. It seems to me that the Boeing was doing a lot of self-certifying and it caused problems. Yeah. Let's look at the MAX again. Several test pilots saw that they were that there were uh, anomalies with the MAX early in its development, but uh, but became a whistleblower after they left Boeing and after their fears came true with the crashes at Lion Air and Ethiopian. This may sound harsh, but because of the fact that they did not speak up before the aircraft went into service, 364 lives will be on their consciences forever. What say you all as the line pilots have, excuse me, what say would you all as line pilots have in whether or not you choose to fly the MAX? Would you be met consequences if you do not feel safe operating the MAX as well as the safety of your passengers? Would you, Jeff, Dana, hop off the mad dog if another jack screw issue arose? I'm sorry for being a gloomy gust, but these were thoughts that have been on my mind. Blue skies and tailwinds. Uh, P.S. Jamie slash Jan, when are we flying again? We got to get Connie up there. They know who they are. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, that's a secret message there. Mm -hmm. Just using, using coded feedback to send messages yeah. to friends. I see it. That's how it is so again, Jamie, Jan, when are we flying again? We got to get Connie up there. They know who they are. Bye. Land Landon Harvey. And uh, so lots lots of stuff in here. Um, but I guess the Dana, uh, another jack screw issue or Acme nut issue with the uh, with the mad dog i mean would that be enough for you to go yeah i'm out of here or i it might be a moot point in our case oh he's on the phone um i no i i, I wouldn't um not unless there was evidence that you know like the entire fleet has this problem and at any moment these things could come flying out of the sky but the way the process works is we bid for these things a bid is put out uh training occurs you know, anywhere from a month or two uh, after the bid closes to like a year or more into the future. So if I bid off of the 88 onto, let's say, the 737, it, you know, it could be I could be flying this thing for another year or so before I went to training and flew anything else. So um, you just can't go. I'm just not going to fly the airplane anymore. <laughs> they, may, they may object to the fact that, you know. You have to fly it because that's what you're qualified to fly. And until you can be trained on something else, this is what you're going to fly. So, or you can go ahead and retire, retire if you'd mm -hmm. like. That's another option. I personally would not. Um, but uh, anyway, we'll have to hear what Dana has to say once he comes back. But Nick, uh, Nick, yeah, what do you think? Uh, well, I think the only option for most pilots who have. Um, multiple types on their airline fleet is if they can't shift from one fleet to the other, if they don't particularly like flying the aircraft they're in, is to leave the airline. And we all know how hard that is with the seniority-based systems we work, how hard it would be to get their position back on another airline. So 
it's not as easy as you think. Um, I personally, I'm a, I'm quite trusting of the authorities that regulate the airline industry. We are an extremely safe industry, and once the aircraft is back in service, then you know uh, it should be a pretty damn safe machine. Um, we've had aircraft that have had multiple failures and crashes in the past, sadly, including the 737. If you remember the day, early days of rudder hardovers, mm-hmm. they lost several aircraft because of that fault. Boeing, after a very long and difficult investigation, discovered the fault and fixed it. But uh, it was it originated really from a change in design of the rudder actuator. Um, from the earlier versions, which had twin actuators, to the seven three, the early seven threes, which had single ones. So there are always going to be problems with aircraft. When Airbus first started with the A three twenty, there was an awful lot of suspicion concerning the fly by wire and automated systems, particularly after that one disappeared into the forest during an air show. Uh, everyone was terribly worried about that. But, of course, it's turned out to be a remarkably safe and capable aircraft. Um, and many other aircraft go through these problems and they re-emerge the other end safer and better than ever. So my feeling is if you're a professional pilot, you pick your airline and you put your, a certain amount of trust in them. It's not really up to you often of which aircraft you fly. And uh, you just then have to put your trust in the regulators uh, and the manufacturers to make sure that everything is done correctly to make sure it's safe to fly. We are in a a wonderfully safe industry uh, in general. Uh, There's obviously the odd hiccup. And nowadays, those hiccups seem to get an awful lot of uh, press and news. So uh, we look back in history a bit and other aircraft and the problems they've had. And I think you'll find that um, current problems are not as big as we like to think they are. Yeah, I agree. That that issue or that uh, the, um, yeah, the issue with the, uh, in the early days of the A320, Nick, I think is a perfect illustration that Landon was saying about the, uh, the human automation interface, the human machine interface. Um, I think that was, kind of the biggest issue in that. Um, the airplane was doing what it was programmed to do. Uh, the human didn't quite understand what the airplane was going to do in that situation. And yeah, I, th- I think you're exactly right. And it took some time before we, we realized that the training improved, the manuals improved, and you know people began to get the hang of it. Uh, mm-hmm. but in those early days, uh, there, were, there was an awful lot of confusion. I mean, you know, I think automation is a wonderful thing. I mean, can you imagine flying hours at a time in an airplane at cruise altitude without, you know, letting go of the controls? That would be, you know, a very fatiguing thing to do. Um, But on the other hand, I think that you have to understand, you know, in fact, sometimes I think it's easier to hand fly an airplane than it is to use the automation to do all the things you want it to do because you have to understand what the automation is going to do when you – push certain buttons or put certain commands into the computer. Uh, it's almost more difficult to fly an airplane that way. Uh, and it's because of that, that, uh, uh, human, uh, machine interface. 
It's not, yeah. trust us, folks, it's not as easy. We always joke around uh, that, oh, you just, you know, push a few buttons and then it just does its own thing. No, it's <laughs> quite- Like that article we just read just yeah. a minute ago about uh, right. Airbus. Quite, it's quite opposite um, of mm-hmm. that situation. We're doing a lot of things. And, and as I said, in my opinion, a lot of times it's just easier for me just to turn everything off and fly the airplane because I know it's almost instinctual for me to do everything. I don't have to think about that much. Uh, as uh, as opposed to having all the automation on and doing all these things, I have to really think. Okay, if I do this, what is it going to do? You know, is it going to do what I think it's going to do or not? I mean, so many times we say, "What is it doing?" <laughs> and then ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time, it's because well, that's what we told it to do. It's just that we don't understand that when we're <laughs> telling it to do something. So, yep. Hope that's not garbled goop gook. Um, no, makes good sense. The uh, MCAS, he, he, the first paragraph or second paragraph there, he was talking about, okay, um, would you take the 737 MAX with or without an MCAS installed on it? And I think we've made the point uh, several times here on the show and, and uh, people that send feedback to us do as well that if and when this thing gets recertified, it's going to be the safest darn airplane out there. And that MCAS system is going to be bulletproof, as you mentioned, Landon. So. Um, but I think the the big thing here is that whether it has MCAS or not, and, you know, if they if they just take the thing out completely, which I don't think they're going to do, and, and just train pilots to understand the characteristics of the airplane without an MCAS, um, or if they have the MCAS system, and now we know about the system, we know what it does, and so anybody that flies an airplane is and surprised when it starts doing something that it's not supposed to do, I think it hasn't pay, been paying attention. So, very exactly. much so. And of course, there's bound to be a certain amount of simulator training involved now. Right. I would have thought. I, quite yes, a bit, so. actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be talked about in the, in the news and media. Right. And that was the whole point of installing the darn thing to begin with, is so that they wouldn't have extra training. And now it's, <laughs> it's backfiring in a major way. They're going to have to pay for a lot of extra training. Dana, did you want Dana to come? Dana, yeah. You and a, I don't, we're not hearing you. I was on mute. There you go. Um, I know you were. You didn't. You weren't here for the entire conversation. Uh, no, I unfortunately had a very important phone call. Yeah, no problem. So, um, so anything you want to add uh, regarding Landon's um, musings and uh, especially thoughts? about the uh, MD eighty series and the Jack Screw Acme nuts. Well, yeah, I mean. I, I, I was going to say something, but Nick handled it perfectly because it was a lubrication issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far uh, as so. uh, if the, all of a sudden we started having issues that are maybe not the exact same, but they're like issues with the the, the uh, well, yeah, Jack. I mean, are you gonna are you gonna bid off the airplane and say I'm not going to fly that anymore? Well, you know, I think the seven three seven is a unique situation. You know, the Max is a unique situation, um, and it's it's definitely uh, uh, to me scary. A flight control issue um you know and you asked that question jeff and the reality is you know as far as i'm concerned landon to answer your question our aircraft has been long it's been around for a long time and one could argue that uh, you know as it gets older it actually may have some more signs of uh, some fatigue on it and uh, may not be as reliable or as durable as uh, you know we think it is 
um, and not giving getting the TLC it it deserves. So you know, especially as the aircraft starts to go away. So one could argue that that actually in itself could be a little bit more dangerous uh, in in itself. But the aircraft is is such a proven airplane that I you know I have full faith in it, and I, and I I really you know I, I really not really but rarely ever think that you know getting on an airplane uh, any aircraft uh, that my my true safety is is really uh, in jeopardy so i don't think that uh, based on that assumption i don't think i would uh, bid off an aircraft just because it's had a few issues uh you know my my thought process with the 73 is uh you know it's a great airplane however you know it's too too small for me to fly i would go fly the aircraft and you know if i fit in the cockpit um my next choice would be the airbus um, and again, that's an, air, an airplane that Nick has an infinity for. And, but I think it's a vote, you know, you just a vote in the cockpit. You're trying to override and, and, and overthink the, out, outthink the, the computer and tricking it into different situations. So you can, you can get it to do what you need it to do. Um, you know, Nick could probably speak to different, differently on that, but you know, I have fear of that aircraft as well. So, it, it, you know, there's, there's healthy fear of everything. Um, but being able to handle the aircraft and understand the systems on it is really uh, the onus is on on the pilot to know that and uh, feel comfortable flying the aircraft. Um, and if the information is not printed, presented to the pilot to to learn and understand and and, and comprehend, then it's really hard to say that. Uh, you know, I heard, heard a little bit about the uh, you know the the the, the uh, MCAS system. Uh, you know, listen, if 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 the information is not there. Then how can you know it? How can you be responsible to understand it? And uh, I think that's where where Boeing shortcomings come is 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 from. So that's my answer to that one. I, I think uh, you know the answer is no. I don't think I'd bid off an aircraft just because uh, it's having some issues. I I would certainly want to know and try to learn so I can be a better pilot about that aircraft and uh, handle any situation that comes about. That's why we get trained. Yeah, knowledge is power. Yes. Yeah. Well said. All right. And I'm sorry I came in so late on that. So No, no problem. Hey, you know, we have lives, right? But Landon, excellent question. Yeah. Thank you, Landon. Thank you for including me. And uh, in that. All right. <laughs> um, he didn't invite you to go flying, though. No, he did not. I noticed that. No. Only Jamie and Jan and Connie. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, nine. We're going to skip to nine. Uh we have some audio feedback from this gentleman. Hello, APG crew. Tarek Maryface here. I do apologize for the quality of the uh, of the audio. I'm driving and it's raining. It's like my tenth attempt because every time I try to record it, the rain gets really bad um, and the quality of the audio is dreadful. I just got out of the sweat box. And uh, it was an all-nighter. <coughs> Sorry. And um, so I'm just commuting home. And as I do that, I'm catching up on the backlog of episodes I missed out on. And in one of those episodes, one of the listeners sent in some feedback saying how one of the captains or one of the pilots of, uh, of a flight he was on did the walk around but didn't seem to be really looking. And that reminds me of a story from my very first week after being released from line training. I was doing the walk around when I found a big bird strike on one of the flaps 
and I go to the captain, who's this uh, Scottish guy, and I say, Captain, I found a bird strike on the left inboard flap. And this guy looks at me. And I do apologize to your Scottish viewers because I'm about to butcher their wonderful accents. This captain looks at me and he says, Tarek, you looked. It's called a walkerine, not a lookerine. You're meant to walk, not look. And that made me chuckle. It was in jest, of course, but it's a story that stuck with me and that feedback reminded me of that. Guys, a very belated Happy New Year and Merry Christmas to the listeners and the entire crew, which of course includes Liz, Liz Piper, amazing producer. Uh, and I'd like to wish you all lots of good drinks and uh, happy flying. Take care. Bye. <laughs> Great feedback. And even with the noise in the back, actually, I think having the noise in the yeah. background, the rain and everything else actually made it better. Yes. Yeah. Great, great ambiance. Sounded like a great Scottish accent to me. Yeah. I, I don't know, though. I don't know. Yeah, it was so good. I couldn't understand what he was saying. <laughs> it must have been good. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, it's a walk around, not a look around. Look around. Not a look around. <laughs> That's funny. Oh. Well, keep sending them in, and uh, hopefully you'll catch up with the backlog that you have. And uh, we always we always uh, enjoy your audio feedback. All right. Um, let's go to 11 um, from Stephen Ivey, good friend of the show. Um, he writes in, uh, just thought I would send you the information on how to use the APG button in a cars on the Collins and Honeywell FMS that's in the CRJ. Hope this helps. And uh, so he has a, a screenshot of the uh, of the a cars, uh, actually the training manual for the a cars. And and the, on the a cars screen in the bottom right hand corner is uh, something that says APG. And we were wondering exactly what that does. And apparently that has something to do with arrival performance goal which analyzes the current flight plan creates a target on and in time for the flight approximately five to seven minutes after your departure. Uh, the APG is uplinked to the main menu. If you select the APG active advisory, you'll be taken to the airlinepilotguy.com website. No, uh, the arrival Yay. performance goal. <laughs> Do you think it's at least 50% accurate on that uh, arrival time? Uh, at least, yeah, that's the problem with the system. They're trying to <laughs> tweak it so they are better than just 50% accuracy. Uh, they're going to change it to something else. Um, and then a follow-up item in 408 on ABG. Oh, that's what, okay, that's what that we did. All right. Mm, there's um, another abbreviation there that I think stands for last update, but that's not how my brain read it as for, at first. What did your... Uh, it, it tried L, to add an L extra stupid. vowel into yes, stupid. <laughs> El stupid. El stupid. <laughs> that's a Spanish. A Latin air, airline. Yes, yeah, Latin, Latin. Latin. Hey, El stupid. What are you doing? All right. Uh, thank you, Stephen, uh, for clearing that up. Uh, item twelve. Uh, this is from Ralph. <laughs> he says uh, the title of his feedback is "This guy is crazy," and then he said the only thing he puts in his feedback is. Capital W, capital O, capital W. Wow. 
right? <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. A man used an airport video monitor in Portland to play Apex Legends. Playing video games is a great use of time during a long layover or airport delay, but one man in Portland, Oregon, took it a bit too far for PDX officials. According to a traveler on Twitter and later in a report in the Oregonian, a man used an airport terminal monitor to play his gaming console at the Portland airport earlier this week. It's definitely Portland, too. The iconic PDX carpet design can be seen under the seated gamer currently playing Apex Legends. Uh, according to the Oregon, Oregonian, Oregonian, yeah, uh, the Oregonian. Oregonian, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, the more I say it, the more you never know, when you say certain words over yeah. and over again. It sounds you know, weird. Well, I, mm-hmm. that can't be right. No. Okay. The whole ordeal was fairly tame. A man plugged a PS4 into one of the horizontal airport monitors next to the vertical ones, listing arrivals and departures, then grabbed a chair and started playing. Stephen or Stefan Dietz caught a snapshot of the gamer and put it on Twitter, and eventually PDX officials got involved, made him surrender control of the monitor back to, you know, important airport stuff. Operations supervisors approached the gamer uh, and very kindly asked this person to unplug and cease using the monitors at the airport. According to Simmons, the man asked very politely if he could finish his game. <laughs> Sadly for him, the answer was no. Apparently, it was a very polite and cordial interaction, Simmons said, calling it a good reminder of what not to do at the airport. In the gamer's defense, he did ask politely if he could finish, and it's not like he took over the boards that show flight status or anything. It was likely just running some ads. Playing Apex Legends is definitely a much better use of the screen, if you ask me, according to this writer uh, of the article. And uh, anything to kill some time while waiting to board, right? That's from... Apple News, but I'm not sure what the where the original story was from. I'd say the Oregonian. The Oregonian, I think. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Um, thank I you, Ralph. Pretty smart bloke. Uh, yeah. It was supposed to be in the wee hours, so it's not like there was a lot going on. I, I I'm a bit upset that they didn't let him finish. Yeah. I'm surprised he didn't like attract a crowd to watch his uh, yeah game playing skills. Right. Everyone could have pulled up a chair. Yeah, and maybe well, they could have on. Yeah. Good job he wasn't watching some dodgy website. Yeah, look like ours. Is there a member of our community in Portland right now? From I England? think there is a there member is. of the community. I'm uh, wondering if he's involved in this at all. Hmm. Does Nav play Apex? Uh, I don't know. Hmm. I'm not too sure he's a gamer. I don't um, think so. No. no, I would have thought so. He's a fast car driver. Yes. And audiovisual professional. I know it's a Ford, isn't it? Yes. Mm-hmm. I love Fixer my Ford. Here daily. <laughs> I see where you're going with that. All right. Um, we just did nice that color, one. though. 14. Very yes, bright. very, very bright. Wish we could say the same for his brain. <laughs> um, just kidding, Neff. We love you. We do. All right, 14. John sent us some audio regarding vision correction surgery. Let's have a listen. Good morning, good afternoon, APG community. My name is John Picard. Uh, I wish to speak about an item on episode 408, which related to people having eyesight correction so they could get their private pilot's license or commercial pilot's license. To give you a background of where I'm coming from, in 2018, I took the decision that I would uh, have a uh, laser eye surgery to improve my eyesight. 
Unfortunately, I wasn't able to have the surgery, but they recommended I have lens replacement surgery and then to improve my eyesight to give me a better outlook on life, as it were. Now, that surgery went averagely okay. I wouldn't say I'm over the moon with the results, but, you know, they are what they are and I've got to live with my decisions. Then let's come to the question in hand, flight medicals. I have had a terrible time trying to get reports from the company who have fitted my lenses to my eyes. I've been running about. My medical doctor, first of all, sent me in one direction. Now I've got to go down to London and go and see a specialist who is recommended by the CAA to give me a report to allow me to fly or allow me to at least try and fly. So that's another cost of £150 plus VAT plus the doctor's fees, which is going to be about £180. So what I'd like to say to people is the fact that learning to fly might be a dream. It might be something you wish to do. But really, when you're looking at changing things on your body, have a real good think about the implications if things go wrong and have a plan. The second part is, is make sure you have looked at all the regulations in relation to whatever surgery you're going to have. The CAA have very strict guidelines on lens replacement and apparently lots of people are falling foul of uh, the companies who are unable to provide all the information and all the tests required. I don't know what the, the state of things are in America, but I'm pretty sure that they'll be also really stringent in relation to this sort of surgery. So in summary, enjoy flying. If you wish to have your lenses replaced or your refractive eye surgery, think long and hard about it. I have met many people now who things haven't gone well for. And then if you are and it goes well, just make sure you know all the regulations in relation to what the CAA or the FAA require. Anyway, don't want to put doom and gloom on it. I'm hopefully going to crack on, get these tests done and get into the air um, before Easter. So that's uh, John Pickard signing off from RAF Cosford. Thank you. So what do you think about that, Liz? I thought it was pretty interesting, actually. Yeah, an angle that... Yeah, I, it was when I listened to it first, I thought, hmm, this is not about it as he said, doom and gloom, it going badly, but it's sort of the follow-up to that and, and what's entailed after you have the surgery and and how do you sort of navigate the getting of the paperwork and all of that kind of stuff. I thought it was, it was a good point of view. Definitely a, a cautionary tale for those who... Very, want. very important stuff. I mean, we've talked about before that even for people who are considering being pilots, especially if you have a goal as... Um, uh, having a career in aviation where you might need a class one medical, not a bad idea to go and make sure first off that you can actually obtain a class medical. So there's no, or class one medical. So there's no surprises there. Um, and he definitely, John definitely brings up good points about um, if you're going to have a medical procedure done, um, gather as much information as you can knowing about uh what documentation you might need to submit afterwards, what the implications might be. And even if it's something that is acceptable, um, there might be cases where if there are complications or problems afterwards, uh, you might need to know what that would entail in terms of time away from flying or uh, possibly having to have um, uh, like statements of demonstrated ability and, and stuff like that for as far as the FAA is concerned. Good points. All right. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you very much, John, for sending that in. All right, uh, let's finish up with item 10 from David. And David writes, Dr. Steph, Captain Jeff, Captain Nick, Captain Dana, Producer Liz, I recently listened to episode 407 and to my alarm, spotted a challenge to your 50% accuracy rate. <gasps> what? Wow. No way. Uh, this is of great concern to me, and I thought I'd better put the record straight as quickly as I could uh, I, I, and get around to writing. Um, I didn't re read that properly. This is of great concern to me, and I thought I'd better put the record straight as quickly as I could get around to writing. You may remember you discussed that Heathrow was nearly renamed as Churchill Airport. That was accurate. You went on to, to discuss some other named airports, and all was going well until Captain Nick mentioned Robin Hood Airport. All was well until Jeff decided the airport was in Nottingham. Understandable, perhaps. Robin Hood Airport was actually Doncaster Sheffield Robin Hood Airport and was, did I say that right? Doncaster? Doncaster. Doncaster. Yep. And was until recently the UK's newest commercial airport, about 40 miles northeast of Nottingham. At a guess, the airport owners tried to confuse some of Nottingham's East Midland Airport customers. Nowadays, the airport name has been shortened to Doncaster Sheffield Airport. It is actually in Doncaster. And Captain Nick may be surprised to learn that he will be familiar with the airport, as it used to be RAF Finningley. Do you recognize that at all? Nick? Oh yeah, it's where it's where all the backseaters were trained. All the navigators, uh, oh, okay. the navigator the training navigator. school was at Finningley. <laughs> just the navigators, I guess. Jim. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's to, that's for just, Jim. Just the navigator. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the airport mostly operates a mixture of bucket and spade routes, along with routes towards Eastern Europe. I believe that we have seen visits from both Captain Al and Miami Rick in their professional roles. Virgin has yet to visit, although Concord... I'm not surprised. <laughs> Virgin has yet to visit, although Concord has visited during, during several of the air shows in the 80s. There are regular cargo flights through the airport with the Formula One teams using the airport, usually with a couple of 747s. Nick also mentioned Liverpool John Lennon Airport. There is a common link between this and Doncaster Sheffield. Both are owned by the same parent group, Peel Holdings. Hopefully that lifts the 50% bar slightly, and now you know more about our regional airport than you ever needed to. Happy skies, smooth landings, and great beer. Kind regards, David. Well, Dave is kind uh, to me than I deserve, because I think I agreed with you when you asked me if that was uh, Nottingham Airport. I said, yeah, even though actually uh, someone... I'm pretty sure we had some feedback, or I answered some um, an email earlier, a few days earlier, or the previous show about Fittingly, uh, and the fact that that was the one that used to be called uh, Robin Hood. Anyway, by the by, um, I'm not overly concerned. I think it was more only, my it was more my mistake. I think uh, it's only 40 miles away, though. Surely, yeah, that counts. exactly right. That's close enough. Vicinity. Don't we have like close a close enough for government? Don't we have like a fifty mile di uh, yeah, diameter radius? radius? It's like the hundred mile diet. Thank you. Anyway, can I just ask if this is an accurate uh, reproduction of David's uh, email? I think so. Why did we change something? Because he managed to spell captain with a a, a closed bracket in it. 
Yeah. And he also spelled Nick wrong Nish, at one point. Captain Nish. Nish. Yeah. So uh, he was rushing uh, to correct the record. Cap bracket Tane Nish <laughs> replying saying pot to kettle over. <laughs> All right, touche. <laughs> and with that, I think we'll end this episode and uh, our feedback. Thanks again, everybody, for sending in that feedback. Mm-hmm. If you want to uh, send in some feedback, send it in. Send it in to airlinepilotguy.com. Actually, feedback, feedback. at airlinepilotguy.com. And uh, there's a special page on the website you can use to send in feedback as well. Uh, and uh, use SpeakPipe if you have a uh, computer or some kind of a electronic device that has a microphone on it. Uh, SpeakPipe will use that and make a nice recording for us and send it right to our, our feedback address. Or you can use your whatever app you want on your device and attach it as um, on the email to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. So many ways. So, so many. Ways. Yes, we're um, uh, also on uh, social media. We are. You can find us on Twitter. Our handle there is at APG Crew. Our individual contact information is pinned to the top of that page. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. All kinds of interesting stuff being shared there. You can also find us on Instagram. I don't think I've really plugged Instagram no. on uh, the end of the show. Before, How do we get but that? I've uh, kind of been uh, posting stuff there. I don't know that anyone else actually uses it. So if you see stuff there, it's probably stuff that I've posted. Um, and that handle is also APG crew, all one word. Excellent. And we are also on Slack. And I mean, I'm almost afraid to ask, does, does Hillel know how to get to your place? Let's, yeah. Let's see if I can turn the... Uh, He's here. Oh, wait a minute. Let me turn on that. Uh, Liz's place has all kinds of hidden microphones. So here's one in the, in her bathroom. Uh, Hillel! Hillel! What the heck is on this hand towel, Jeff? <laughs> well, you'll have to uh, can you come over here and yeah, it's time for this for the Slack thing. Come on, let's let's move out of the way. Get him over here next to the microphone, and he can tell us all about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha, Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks, Hillel. As always, we appreciate you managing the Slack group. Thank, thank you very much for sharing that. And uh, let's see. What else? Oh, thank you to our producer. My Liz. pleasure. Does a lot of work in the background. That, uh, yes, that uh, we Thanks, just couldn't guys. do it. It wouldn't be as good, trust me. It'd be, it'd be horrible without her help. My pleasure. So, yes. And uh, thanks to all of you for joining us live. Uh, those of us, those of you who are there. Uh, if you want to join us live, please, uh, those social media, social needs things that we were just talking, Steph was just talking about, uh, subscribe to those and follow along with us. And we'll put out uh, alerts when we're about to uh, record the show. And it's a lot of fun to become involved with the live group of people that are in our live chat room every week. 
And uh, also we're, uh, we have a calendar, uh, the APG Community Calendar, which you can find on Slack and also on our website, airlinepilotguy.com slash calendar. And until next time, wishing you all clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. Hasta la vista, baby. Bye, everybody. Good day. a good good pilot till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats airline pilot guy I fly Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, how guy I fly